APG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 383. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. Your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters outside Atlanta. Today's show is recorded on the 13th of July, 2019. Episode, a Virgin Atlantic flight from New York to London makes an emergency landing in Boston when a battery pack bursts into flames between seat cushions. And a Korean Airlines captain drinks alcohol during the flight, but the cabin crew chief who blew the whistle on him was the one who got punished. More news, your feedback, and in today's Plane Tales, Jeff Lee interview part three. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 383 is ready for pushback. Hello, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast, and thanks to Radio Roger, a real radio broadcaster in New York City. Thank you always for doing that for us. And as I mentioned... It's an aviation podcast where we're going to talk about aviation news and we're going to cover your feedback. And helping me today to do that from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, a doctor, a skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hi, Captain Jeff. Lovely evening to you and to everyone there in Atlanta. And I'm not sure how much help I'll be in terms of keeping this thing on the straight and narrow on the rails tonight, but um, I can certainly help read the news and answer some feedback. So happy to do that. Well, thank you very much. We need all the help we can get. And also joining us today, right next to me here in Studio 1A in APG headquarters, it is... Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, former captain for an international airline based in London. It's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. It's so nice to be here in Atlanta with you guys again. I just had nothing to do today, so I thought I'd jump on an airplane for eight and a half hours and pop over and see you. Well, we're all glad that you did. Hey, also joining us on my left side here in Studio 1A. A barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pontoon boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy airline based in Atlanta, Captain Dana. Well, good afternoon, evening, guys. It's great to be sitting next to such greatness here in the uh, Roswell studio. We have Jeff, and uh, looking forward to another great episode. So are we. And also joining us... Oh, come on, everybody, sing along. This gentleman has his host of his own podcast called Flying and Life. He is a professional airline dispatcher. He's a pilot as well. His name, everybody knows him, Mike 
carols. Good, uh, good evening, everyone. Good morning, wherever you are at whatever time you're listening to this. If you're not live with us, it is an absolute pleasure to be here uh, with you guys joining in this uh, camaraderie and uh, aviation podcasting thing. I... <laughs> This very is, well said. Uh, <laughs> I did. A, I could have said it better myself. <laughs> oh, yes. Very nice. Very nice. I, uh, this is the second podcast of the day. I actually recorded one of my own this morning. Oh, you did. So oh, that, it, you. it was fun. Um, you know, I haven't recorded an episode since April, so it, it was it's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. <laughs> yeah, so did I. And I'm like, oh, I should probably do this whole podcast thing I have going on here. Yeah, I might as well. Ah. Hey, uh, so if you're listening to the audio-only version of the show, which is most of you out there, um, it will be a little bit different than it normally is. I, I usually spend a lot of time, you know, like tightening things up and cutting things that uh, we say that are uh, kind of stupid out. Uh, that's why it's such a shorter um, <laughs> show than our video, uh, where you can see all of our uh, mistakes. Uh, but you know what? Uh, we are leaving for Nick and I uh, are going to leave uh, Monday morning for um, eventually Dayton, Ohio, and seeing the U.S. Air Force Museum, etc. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But uh, I only have basically tomorrow afternoon because we're, Nick and I are going to be watching the uh, Grand Prix, the British Grand Prix tomorrow. So until all that is done, um, I'm only going to have a short amount of time to do the editing of this for the audio-only version. So it's going to be a little bit different because it's going to be more raw than it normally is. I'm going to do minimal editing. And uh, so we'll see how you like it or dislike it, as the case may be. So just wanted to warn you all about that. And uh, let's see, what else? Uh, so as I mentioned, Captain Nick just got into town, flew all the way from London to here. And uh, he's been up for quite some time, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, the, the time here would have been half past midnight when I got up. And it's now coming up to seven o'clock. So, yeah, it's okay. It's just like a normal airline pilot job, really. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For you. Yeah. Are, are your arms tired? <laughs> you flew all the way here from London. all the way over here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm particularly doing uh, 8-2 over the uh, Atlantic. It takes a lot of flapping. Um, I'm sure it does. Uh, I actually went to, I just finished work last night about that time when you were getting up. I was thinking about you. Delayed reaction rim shot. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lovely trip over. The uh, airline uh, looked after me very nicely. Uh, the word got out that I hadn't had a last trip and uh, people were making a special effort to try and make sure I got on the flight and came across okay. Um, so I had a very nice time. Uh, the skipper was uh, an old friend of mine who uh, has been promoted since I used to fly with him because uh, he was uh, sitting in the right-hand seat then. And he looked after me extremely well, as did the rest of the crew. So the, the, many thanks to them if any of them are listening. Uh, absolutely lovely. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, I, I was well and truly pampered, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Well. This is just starting. This is day one of, I don't know, at least 14, 15, 16 days that you're going to be here. Yes, it's them almost out. three weeks, but not quite. Yeah. So, um, yeah, tomorrow, as I mentioned, we're going to see the Grand Prix. And then the, uh, Monday morning, we're going to drive from here up to Dayton, Ohio, to uh, see the U.S. Air Force Museum. And on the way, we're going to stop in Lexington, Kentucky, to visit the... Uh, the Where they make the, the bourbon. The very large donkey. <laughs> 
damn, I thought we were going to see the Kentucky what? bourbon being made. Yeah, I was going to no. say you can skip over that now because it burnt down. What, the big ass? Uh, one of them did. Yeah, um, uh, Jim Beam, was Jim Beam. Yeah, yeah. Jim Beam. Oh, God, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It flooded the river. All the fish are drunk, jumping out there, out of the, wow. out of the river, drunk. He must have loved it. Yeah. So are we going to see uh, some big asses tomorrow? Um, well, some fans. big ass fans. Okay. fans. Oh, okay. And, and we're not talking about fans of the show. And we've never, we've never huh? referred to you that way. <laughs> Your fans. But we are going to see some fans of the show uh, when we arrive in Dayton, but I'm not Separately sure about their from the, physiological. Their, from, the, from their posterior. Yeah, I'm not sure about their physiological uh, makeup. Um, you yeah. really can't say anything about that. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going we're, to we're look. We are looking forward to it. And I really have not had we're, much to drink. We're yet. licking these big ass. Oh, oh my goodness. You're going to be, wow, maybe I am going to have to do a lot of post-editing. They're, they're purposely making it difficult for me, I can see. I didn't say one word. Okay, thank you. Yeah. We're just going to slip Let's keep some little, uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, well, we'll talk more about our adventures. Uh, but first, I want to uh, ask Miss Stephanie what she has been up to. Mm. When did we do this last uh, Last uh, Friday evening, week ago Friday, so oh, okay. a little bit more okay. than a week ago. So I had a very relaxing weekend last weekend. Um, spent a lot of time on the lake. Anything, which was very nice. Um, did some indoor skydiving this week, two days ago, which was a lot of fun as well. A um, couple of, uh, actually, several um, ladies who are very big into skydiving um we all got together and had a good time trying to improve on our skills in the tunnel so that's about the only flying kind of related thing that i did um and yeah it's been a it's been a quiet week um work was not terribly busy or crazy um i did a lot of running and that about sums it up for me and I want everybody to know that's listening to this podcast because I'm not editing it out. I accidentally muted everybody, including you, Steph. So there are a few <laughs> words in there that are missing. <laughs> so uh, I will sum I'm up sorry. real quick. Indoor yeah. skydiving, running, yeah. lake time. Okay. Work was fine. Well, then but. why didn't you do it that way to, to begin with? <laughs> just kidding. I don't know. I'm yeah, just I kidding. had to get my thoughts together before I could sum up. Ah, uh, okay. Anyway. Well, that was a good uh, summary. Thank you. Yeah. You can tell that she does lectures and speeches and conferences, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, thank you, Steph. Great that you're. I wish that you could be here with us live. Yeah, that's really what I'm. I'm feel like I'm missing out at in the moment here. Um, yeah, but you know whacker. what? Next next week, right? Or, yeah, a week from today is today Saturday. Yes, a week yeah. from today, at this time, I will be in Oshkosh with some of you. Excellent. So we look forward to seeing you. And then uh, we're going to do a show at Oshkosh and uh, we'll all be together. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a good trip. I'm hoping there might be um, just some additional fun details that come together about that trip for me. So if that happens, I will certainly fill you all in on it and maybe even do a crew log because I haven't done one of those in. What? Oh, I don't know. Like three years. (laughs) I've heard this before. It's not going to (laughs) happen. I felt like maybe Cheers, if I Steph. maybe if I said that I might do one, then maybe I will actually be more likely to do it. If anything, I'll I'll, I'll corner you with Oshkosh with a microphone. Yeah, and yeah, that's fine. I'll, that's I'll probably make you do better. It that way. And we can just we can release it as a uh, crew log. That hey, way by too. the way, um, mm-hmm. for those of you who are um, 
patrons via Patreon. Uh, it uh, is going to be good times because Nick and I are planning on doing a bunch of uh, crew logs. Uh, and those of you who are not patrons but are uh, contributors to the Coffee Fund, um, you may be missing out on some of the stuff because we do prefer that you be our, you are patrons, not uh, just the uh, Coffee Fund Classic Method, although we do appreciate your uh, very generous uh, donations via the Coffee Fund Classic Method. Uh, and we'll do our best to get those uh, crew logs to you as well and get them in the feed. But we may be doing some videos, and I'm not sure how to get that in the the general RSS feed. So um, I think you have to be on Patreon to see some of those. But anyway, we're planning on doing a bunch of stuff. So some of you out there who have been thinking about maybe becoming part of our Coffee Fun Cadre, Coffee Fun Club, Coffee Bar Club, whatever Nick calls it. Um, yeah, this might be a good time to uh, to to pull the trigger on it because there's going to be a lot of extra content between now and the next couple of weeks. Absolutely, yeah. We're going to uh, be filming all sorts of aspects of our journey, uh, all the people we meet on route, all the places we go. Uh, and so if you really love watching um, Tarmac drift past a car window for hour upon hour <laughs> upon hour, hey, um, this for, will be I would the just channel like to speak for, for, for several of us who are uh, either former or current residents of the Chicagoland area. We would like to see video of you all driving this RV through Chicagoland at oh, some absolutely. point. I would yeah. love to see a live recording from the trip from yeah. Yeah. Manuka. Yeah, we want to Mokita, we're going to take it over every what, single bridge okay. uh, in the middle of Chicago. And all those bridges over the river, we're going to go up and down every single one. In all our 29 army. of them? Yep. What? Yep. <laughs> it's not right. That's not true. I'm, I'm going to try, I'm gonna try you, to get a Chicago overnight. If you would like to know the – so we've I've taken a look at it, and I, I think I come, have come up with the route that I would take if it were me driving the RV. Yeah. I will let you know what that is if you would and like to Is know. this going to be an actually a good thing, or you're going to pick no, the really, absolute worst No, really, I would not. There are certain roads I would avoid. Okay. And I would well, I appreciate – I look forward – And Mike can help me confirm that that would probably be a good route. I, if, if you're picking up where I think you are, I-80, I-39, north, stay away from Chicago, period. Stay away from Chicago. <laughs> Stay away. Yeah. Well, that's why we're picking up the RV, so it's a bit hard no, to stay away. No, you're not picking up the RV. You're picking up the RV in Chicago. Mokina, People from huh? that area will tell you that they are, they live in Chicago it's and Mokina, are from Chicago. Manuka, I think it is. Mokina. Mokina, Manuka. M-O-K-E-N-A. It's Mokina. Okay. I know exactly where that is. And um, yeah, people from there will tell you they're from Chicago. Well, yeah, it's like a suburban area, I think, right? Yeah. Like a yeah. exur exurban like Mike area. and I are like Mike and I are from Chicago. Yeah, I'm from Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Chicago. Well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not either. Like, Neither am I. Like I'm Al Capone. Twenty five miles west. <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, I'm still in the crust of Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, We're I am looking on I'm I'm looking forward to your brilliant ideas because we need all the help we can get. Yeah, we'll we'll help you out. Don't okay. Worry. And there will be there will be video. Of Nick and I in the RV. Going over some bridges. I would suggest yeah. also leaving at like 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Sleeping the guys. Sleep not the guys sure how that's... That, Nick, Nick would be actually wide awake to do that, so that'd be perfect. Yeah, we fine. wouldn't be go. arriving into Oshkosh then till Friday if we do that. Oh, well. Because we're picking it up like mid good luck like then. morning of Thursday. Uh, have a good time in rush hour. Like I said, I-80... I-39. You're good to go. All right. We're writing this down. <laughs> I-80. It's completely out of the way, but it'll be better for you. No, I'm. I, that's fine. <laughs> Can I say I'm, I'm a bit I've, jealous? I've, 
Why? Because you guys are going to have such a great time. Well, come with us. Well, I wish I could. Oh. I'm out there slaving away. You're not looking very well. Colin's sick. Nobody watches yeah. this. Yeah, you look. <laughs> Never. <laughs> You're not Ill. looking very well, Dana. Are you, are you feeling okay? no dispatchers Ill. on this program. You look no. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little. I'm feeling a little under the weather. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can see it already. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, Jeff doesn't have room in his vehicle for me, and I take up a lot of room. If you haven't noticed. It's I'm, an I'm RV. actually we're looking at the video screen right here, and I'm taking up about half of the video screen. But Dana. I'm taking up the hop other half. They're like two peanut butter. They're like the peanut butter and jelly in the sandwich. Hop a flight to to Midway, yeah. and then you'll basically be there. And we'll just yeah drive past um, Midway and pick you up and, and wave at you as we go by. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love, I'd love to see, I, I will videotape that. <laughs> I would. I would love to see Jeff drive the RV into Midway to pick up. Dana. <laughs> yes, especially with all the work that they're doing right on Cicero right now. That'd be fun times. It's just, it just the new. The new uh, since they redone Midway. Um, yeah. That that turn to get up to the yeah, arrivals yeah. and departures. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I think they're setting it's us up little, for defeat. It's a little sharp. We it's accept a, it's the a challenge. Turn is a little acute. <laughs> Jeff accepts the challenge. No, you know, Nick is going to be on top of the RV, hanging on. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm like going to be out there. Yeah, I'm going to get, uh, you know, the water ski rope. Yeah. I'm going to get one of those tied on the front. It's got to be a thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's going to be a viral video. <laughs> well, I, I could catch a virus if you want me to. <laughs> you know, you know what? I was thinking about taking my motorcycle. I could actually follow you on the RV and uh, go ahead and videotape the whole thing. Well, I was thinking we could just attach it on the back like you do a, a car on the back of your RV. You could just sit on it. <laughs> no, that would be too enjoyable for me. I might not want to do that. <laughs> okay. Enough. Enough. Help. I feel, I feel, on, I feel a little lull in the uh, conversation here. Which a is, APG uh, Raw. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks, for all this. I'm sorry. Um, Dana. What have you been up to, sir? Well, I've been up to no good. I've been no? working. They've been using me every single day of work and, uh, and well, every single day I've been on reserve. Uh, so I'm working my behind off. That's about all I'm going to say there. I did get the opportunity. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah, well, yeah. Listen, I've gained uh, no lost, uh, no, I haven't lost or gained anything uh, other than uh, some stress in my life. But uh, other than that, uh, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about what I did other than the fact I haven't been in a long overnight in the downtown New York area uh, in at least five years. So I took advantage of that and I went to the uh, World Trade Center 9-11 Memorial and that was uh, a very, very moving uh, experience. I think they did an unbelievable job paying paying uh, respect to the uh, people that lost their their lives and all the sacrifice made. Um, uh, also, I did notice that uh, the day I was there, they actually uh, uh, went ahead and voted on the extension of the uh, 9-11 fund for the medical expenses, and that happened to be the same day I was there. I spoke to a very nice young lady, Julie, who's a volunteer there. Um, and her, she lost her husband there. So it was very, a very uh, uh, trying and very uh, a humbling experience for me. Uh, only one other time have I ever felt so uh, deeply moved, and that was when I went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. So it was a very uh, very humbling experience, and that's really all I want, all I want to talk about. Other than one other thing, and I'm just going to mention it, is that I took off 
as he takes my list, but no, actually quite literally uh, heading up to Newark um, because of all the delays heading up into New York area with a very, very large storm system that came across the eastern United States uh, with a lot of thunderstorms uh, pretty much paralyzing the northeast. Uh, I took off with exactly one minute left in my duty day to be able to actually fly the flight. So uh, thank God we were in uh, talking to dispatch who coordinated the air traffic control to get, uh, thank you dispatcher Mike, by the way, uh, to get us off the ground so that we get everybody up there because we worked really hard to get them uh, up, you know, everything done in time to get us airborne. So Speaking of the uh, 9-11 funding, what was that bill called um, that you were just, oh. well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, so nice to see John Stewart. Yes. Uh, that was an amazing vocal advocate yeah. of that. That was an amazing video. I'm not yes. sure, you know, maybe it would have passed anyway, but I think having somebody like John Stewart, you know, really putting it out there and uh, basically, you know, telling Congress you need to, you know, get off your butts and make this a permanent thing. Well, and I think a, a very big impact was that uh, police officer, the sergeant that was there that just recently passed. Yeah. Oh, that was another. I, I'm forgetting his name, and f- forgive me for that because I'm terrible with names. But uh, um, I keep watching. Bob, watch. you just got to practice. Yeah, Bob, <laughs> Neil, and Bob. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, uh, yeah, it's uh, it was very it was a very emotionally charged day for me. And, uh, well, thanks for that. Sharing. That day will never, never uh, be forgotten by me. That uh, flight 93 um, memorial in Pennsylvania is also a very. You need to shank so. Yeah, you need to go to that. Yeah, sometimes it's very uh, that's the very only thing. It's the only one I've not been to. Um, the Pentagon has an amazing um, area spread as well. But that that nine eleven museum in down in New York, Lower Manhattan, is um, I'm getting goosebumps now just even thinking about it. Just it's a very powerful, very very well done museum. It is absolutely uh, absolutely amazing. And if you're ever in New York, give yourself the four or five hours, get down to Lower Manhattan, go and do it. It's it, it's worth the time ever completely. Excellent. All right. Um, Mike, what have you been doing since we've had you last on the show? Um, I have been... Absolutely nothing. When was that? Um, um, lately You've in been my, on the show before, right? Uh, yeah, I have. Okay. Um, la- so. Lately in my life, I have been um, uh, chasing Dr. Steph. What and, happened? And, uh, power yeah, Power Search TV went out. Ah, that's not good. No. Steph, can you hear us? Oh. <laughs> no, Evan. <laughs> uh. Must be a storm out there. Are you checking that right now? Yes, sir. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'm not making the lights go on. I mean, uh-huh. This is not good. Come on. How do we flick the yep, celly back? There it is. Okay. Right underneath it. That's what. That's the trouble with living in a, a hole in the ground. Oh yeah. You don't know what's going on on top. Yeah. About an hour. You'll be out of here. Yeah, that's a nice little line. Another good day not to be at work. Sounds good to me. Well, I guess give me a chance to open up the next crackers. Yeah. Crack another beer while you got them. More crackers. What about all the good chicken I brought? Yeah, I want more chicken. Oh, yeah, I want more chicken. Keep on forgetting about that. I, I can't go mm-hmm. in here, so someone will have to give me chicken. 
well. What'd you like, Nick? <laughs> white meat, <laughs> the dark chat, meat. The chat room. Oh, white meat, please. The, cha the, cha <laughs> <laughs> the chat room's awesome. Comedy hour. Oh, it's the Dr. Chef's Dr. Steph's show. Steph, well, the Steph Plummer show. That's the breast. Um, Perfect. <laughs> three hours of Dr. Steph. If there's any uh, beans and coleslaw. <laughs> three hours of Dr. Steph. That'll be good. You wanted uh, coleslaw and beans? Yeah, please. That's really good of you. Anything, buddy? I'll get it. Um, do you want? Why don't you get? Is there a drumstick or something like that? Yep, absolutely. You got it all. Thanks. Load everything up on the plate. <laughs> Say you want a drum? Yeah. Thanks, Jenna. Hey. 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 We're back. Uh-oh. What happened there? Power. Power surge. Hey. Power uh, surge. Lovely. Will the uh, uh, thigh do? Thigh works. Just give me some food. I don't, give, I don't care. So how are you, Chef? Oh, I'm lovely. I was just telling them about my new car. Oh, right. Okay. Well, actually, it's your blue car. Let me give you a real one. Which is my not, my not other cheap. new blue, no, mother blue car. Yes. Thank you. Well, yeah, I still have the Jeep, Micah. That's still my oh, car, so don't worry. I can still get stuck in the rain with the top down. That has not changed. <laughs> Steph will still the be Subaru out. Subaru so is not is not really so much my car to drive around, but it is my car. Steph will be out uh, driving topless again soon. Don't worry, yeah, folks. It'll, it'll work. It'll happen. Mm. One of my favorite things to do. What? Just what, saying. What am I missing? <laughs> Steph driving topless. That's oh. all. That's <laughs> one. You want to, uh, Mike? Yeah. You want any uh, potato salad or mac? Do you, and did you just do? Did you just procure more fried chicken? Yep. Like, <laughs> Dana I'm had so some. hungry right now. I, th I think Dana bought the restaurant. Okay. <laughs> and you want to pass these uh, back on over? Have we actually done anything resembling a show yet? <laughs> I don't no. know. No. no. Okay. <laughs> Good. Good. I'm not quite sure why the food break happened, but I'm very pleased. Mm -hmm. I'm so hungry. Liz, right? Like, I'm super hungry. Just watching this feast going on in front of us. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I don't even know if we can cook yet because I think it's still raining. Like, we meant we're supposed to be grilling tonight. You should be uh, You should be clear of clear storms. Are we? Looking at the Co-Spa. All right. All right. Co-Spa, great products by uh, MIT and Lincoln Labs. It's a what it, what, it's what a it's it? a tool that we use at work where you can it projects and predicts the weather out for eight hours. Oh, I just look at a four flight. Yeah, it's a it's a great tool for uh, air traffic management. So when ATC says, "Oh yeah, we don't want to we don't want to do anything," nope. and it can... is um, there's still this green blob. Well, it's green though. Green's green's, green's good. good. Green, yeah. go. green green means gross. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine for driving or flying your airplane in for grilling. Mm. Yeah. Green for grill. I don't understand the problem. <laughs> it does it makes look a good point. Significantly better than it did earlier, though. It yeah. It's moving in the right direction. Goodbye. Sounds good. All right. Where'd we get to? I don't know. We were um, we were Talking saying we were saying Mike. something, and then all of a sudden the the, the big screen went just went out, and the camera went down, and the lights were kind of dimming, and then coming back on. So we didn't lose power completely, though. I don't know what we were talking about. To be honest, um, I forgot. Hmm, 
I don't know. Jeff had just asked me what I've been up to since I was oh, last oh, on the show. Right. Wait, Mike Kuiper says. We're going green because of the green on Stascon. Very good, Mike. Good Excellent. He's got IP. He definitely has APG syndrome. Yeah. He does. Yeah, he's a worry. You guys, you guys have some. This is your weather right now. By the way, I haven't thanked uh, Larry. Say something, yet. Steph, so we can yep, see it. This is this is your weather here. You have green blob too. Yeah, so green shouldn't cause green. a power issue. It's not. It's like Roswell is right here. It's that like really light green. Yeah, but it's, I think it's the yellow stuff that kind of went through. Mm. It was <clears throat> looking at the 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 radar over here. It was pretty. Lovely. Wow, you got quite a plate there, Mike. <laughs> level five, level six storm. <laughs> For the guy that just said, I just ate, so I'm not really hungry. That's a level five, a level six plate over there. <laughs> oh, wow. Don't worry. I'm going to run it off probably tomorrow or or Monday. So don't worry. Oh, I'm not worried. I'm so proud of you, man. Yeah, I love it. Good for you. Running, running like you are. Yes. Yeah. yeah I've yeah. been doing the same thing. <laughs> I'm not. No, oh, I'm it's funny. Kidding. We really didn't see you that morning. Well, I don't, like to, I don't, wanna, I, I don't like to. I don't want to. I don't like to brag. I don't like to brag. But <laughs> he, he, uh, he started in wave Z. As in, ah, he was still sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. As in, as in the zzz. <laughs> I was probably still sleeping when Steph crossed the finish line. I was, uh, I hadn't even started the race when Steph crossed the finish line. <laughs> it's true. That's okay. true. That's true. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Are we still recording over here? Yes, we are. Look at that. Okay. <clears throat> you know, it's turning out that this is going to be the most intensive post editing <laughs> that I'm ever, ever going to have to experience. Yeah, I'm going to be watching the race and you're going to be editing. I'm not going to start until after the race. <laughs> Guarantee. Guarantee. Okay. So we were talking about what? Uh, I was giving an update. Mike what he was oh, Mike. To. So here we go. So, Mike, uh, what have you been up to since the last time that you were on the APG? Well, Jeff, even a three-hour show won't even give me enough time to uh, oh. update on that. Okay, then we'll just skip it and move <laughs> on to – no, go ahead. Um, but lately, um, the lovely Dr. Steph is a, a very motivating person in her example of fitness and health. And so lately I have been – I don't know what's wrong with you guys. Maybe you're immune or something like that. But uh, I've been um, – Fitness, health, and IPA. <laughs> I'm getting dirty looks over here. You're talking to me? <laughs> um, I know you're not talking to me. <laughs> but well, uh, I think, you know, Nick and I have an excuse. We're old people mm, and we're over 60 old. and it's very dangerous to engage in, uh, engage in any kind of it, rigorous activity like that. Yeah, you should check with your doctor before you do that. Uh, I did. And he said, Jeff, don't do it. Don't do that. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. turns out Mike and I are fairly competitive people. Yes, we are. We're very, I'm not competitive at all. We're very competitive. Um, Steph is fun to have a on as an Apple Watch uh, competition uh, against her. She is uh, very competitive, and she's, I'm losing. By um, the way, not, in the long run, right? Yeah. yeah, you'll probably tie again this week. But um, I've uh, decided to run the Chicago Marathon. She's helped me do it. I ran the Peachtree Road Race, and uh, I've been getting out there and running. And it actually, it feels nice. It feels good to actually take the time and go out and run. Um, did nine point seven miles uh, this week at one time. Uh, felt it a little bad the couple of days later, but all healed up now, ready to go hit the road again. It's good. It's a fun time. Love it. Love it. You've been doing awesome. Super proud of you. Yeah, I saw that. Peachtree City. Uh, Tour of Peachtree City, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's a great area. It's, I think it's the only flat spot in the Atlanta area. It's, it's a very flat area, not many hills at all, very gradual inclines, if there is any at all. And it's probably where I'll do most of my training for Chicago, because Chicago is a very, very flat, flat. flat marathon, which is the reason why I chose Chicago, because... Just 
watch out for Mount Roosevelt at the end there. You'll be fine. Oh, joy. So I understand, uh, I heard in the news, they were talking about somebody running on the golf courses. And was that you? No. Okay. (laughs) No, no, but I can assure you if I was running, I'd be on national news. Might even be worldwide news. Earthquakes? Because there would be registering earthquakes (laughs) all over the place. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. We're a love show. We are. So much love. So much love. Love Shack. Okay. Caddy yep. Shack is the one you're uh, thinking of. Exciting and new. Come aboard. Right, do I have something here I can play that has something to do with love? That's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely Good love. Choice, Jeff. <laughs> um, let's see. What have you been up to, Jeff? Have we covered everybody else? Only yes. except you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. We, you asked us to keep it anything. brief, and we... Gonna, okay, yeah, we, how, how far are we into this? Liz, do you have any idea <laughs> where we are in the time frame here? I have no idea. Uh, been just busy doing... I, I did fly a three-day trip um, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, nothing nothing spectacular about that. And uh, been doing a lot of um, stuff, uh, getting prepared for... Our big Osh Blast 2019, and uh, that includes our uh, pre-Osh Blast 2019 party celebration, which happens um, Monday. And as I mentioned uh, already a few times, I think, uh, we're going to drive from Atlanta to uh, Lexington, stop there and see Greg Peterson at the Big Ass Fans Company. And then we're going to continue up to Dayton, and we're going to meet up with a bunch of great folks up there. In the Dayton area for dinner. Uh, let's see. I, I'm probably going to forget somebody, but uh, Paul is going to be there. He's driving in from the Youngstown area, I think, or maybe Pittsburgh or somewhere like that. Um, we have uh, Major Bell is going to be there. He's there for um, simulators um, that this next week. And, in fact, Nick and I are going to go into a C-17 simulator. It's uh, Dick, Nick. Tuesday it's uh, a stick. Oh, great. I it's saw one fly really over head today when I was driving it, home it, it's from a stick. That's like my things, favorite but... military bird. Yeah. C-17. So, I'm so really jealous. Really cool airplane. Yeah. You're, not feeling, you're not looking very well, Dana. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, you look really under the weather. <laughs> just really bad green. under the weather. Um, and then uh, we're going to go to the U.S. Air Force Museum. Oh, let's yes. see. I mentioned, let's see, we have Rick Bell. We got Paul. Uh, Jen is going to be there on Tuesday to meet up with us at the um, U.S. Air Force Museum. Uh, Tom Dugan, Dispatcher Tom, is going to head up from Atlanta, and he's going to be there also on Tuesday, and uh, we're going to be doing um, uh, dinner Tuesday night and get to meet uh, Tom's mom. Hello, Tom's mom. Look forward to meeting you. Um, And uh, who else? Stephen Ivey. Stephen Ivey is going to be there. Wow. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I'm sure there are other uh, others that I'm forgetting. I'm sorry who, if there, I've forgotten somebody. There is a lot more room in my truck. We could take all three of us in, all the equipment and everything else, and still have room left over. But you, uh, you're going to be so ill. You're going to be. Uh, yeah. be I'll be ill. You're going to be too too sick to drive. To drive. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, then uh, Wednesday morning we're going to leave from Dayton, Ohio, and head out over toward uh, Mokina. Chicago area, Mokina, Illinois. And uh, we got a bed and breakfast there, and we're going to uh, uh, perhaps maybe meet up with uh, Controller Joe. I'm not sure about that yet, but he's working that night. So we're, That'd be uh, cool. 
Uh, we're, we're not sure how that's going to work out. Uh, and then uh, next day, yes, sir. Mike Smith. Mike uh, Smith. Just emailed us saying oh. that he's going to meet us at the Air Force Museum. Oh, okay. Mike he's, Smith. He's uh, flying his Sonics from Boston oh. to Ohio. Wow. And we'll be at the Air Force Museum on Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday morning, he flies to Wisconsin. To oh, what's going house. on in Wisconsin? He's going to his lake house. Oh, and I think probably at, probably Oshkosh. I would is uh, then, weather permitting, the I'll be in a pop-up camper, whatever one of those is, in Camp Shola. Oh, that's where we're going to be. Camp Shola. Pop-up camper? Yeah, pop-up. Yeah. Um, You're not familiar? You don't have those in England? It's a, well, we have a tent. It's, a, it's no. a trailer that's very skinny, and then when you park it at the campsite, it pops up into a... It's like a trailer with a tent on a trailer. Yeah. It, okay. I've it, heard it, of those. It's a... It's a how, how many PSI do you need to make it pop? <laughs> mm, 35. Okay. Uh, that's, that's good. Uh, yeah. uh, Captain L needs to be around. He can generate 35 PSI. Oh, easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, Mike Smith, great. Uh, thank you for pointing that out, sir. That's what it just arrived. Brilliant. Oh, look at that. Talking timely. about ti- very timely. timely. Yeah. Timely feedback. Isn't that what they do at opposing bases? I think timely so. feedback. <laughs> well, I wonder why they do that. Is it because our feedback's not very timely at all? I don't well, know. Well, it is timely. It's just that it takes us a long time to get That's very. To. It takes us a long timely. Yeah. Very for good. Our feedback. Okay, well, great. Uh, look forward to meeting you, Mike, uh, in the Sonics. And uh, so if anybody else uh, is out there that uh, wants to meet up with us while we're in the Dayton area, contact us. Let us know. All right. And we'll do our best to keep everybody apprised as to what we are doing and where we are and all that kind of stuff by uh, tweeting out on APG Crew. That's probably the best way to do it. Dane, are you okay over there? Complicating his choices oh, in life. <laughs> Is it the chicken? Okay. Did you get some bad chicken there? No. Okay. Um, and then, I'm, so I'm just jealous. I'm really okay. jealous. So after, so I mentioned we're going to go to Mokina. We're going to pick up the RV on Thursday. We're going to drive up to Oshkosh. I think um, going uh, eighty something and thirty nine something. Why are we thinking of going somewhere and then, else? Uh, we might. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, no, we should probably just... we should probably go to Oshkosh because we've spent a lot of money on our eighty three fifty five eighty eight <laughs> like a lot more than we needed to spend on uh, our site. Uh, excuse me, a little burping, burpage, um, making and, you feel a little sick, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and uh, and then we're gonna have a great time with all you uh, APGers and podcast a- aviation podcasters and podcast listeners up there in the Oshkosh area. So looking forward to that. Okay. Uh, T-shirts. Oh, hat. Oh, what do you want to say about this? Larry, thank you very much indeed. A fantastic hat. And I'm wearing it. It's brilliant. It's superb. Thank you very much indeed. Much appreciated. And Liz, thank you very much indeed for the RV T-shirt. And opposing bases, yeah, your boring old T-shirt pitched up eventually. Yeah, I gave it. Whoa! What was that? Okay. That's right. Uh, Liz gave me this uh, T-shirt, King <laughs> of the RV, right there. That's right. I'm not. I'm not trying to touch you up. What? It, it's okay. What are you Relax. doing? Relax. Okay. Relax. <laughs> I liked it actually. Uh, <laughs> do do that again. What? Did I knock something down? Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Don't do that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else. It's a great um, visual, Jeff. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, uh, we have hats too. Um, 
inspired by Larry Gregory. Oh, wait. No, let's do the T-shirt thing since Mike is holding that up. We have the Osh Blast 2019 T-shirts. Oh, they're brilliant. They're really well made. And yeah. they uh, look yeah. fantastic. Beautiful design by Jim Mikado. And, uh, and we're going to see Jim at uh, Oshkosh. So everybody that uh, is at Oshkosh and sees Jim, make sure that you buy him a beer for his great mm-hmm. uh, work with uh, the design of the Acme logo and also the uh, Osh Blast logo. And we also have hats um, inspired by this wonderful design from, uh, well, actually it was Jim Mercado's design, uh, but he had a hat made and uh, we have some other hats made and um, dependent upon how many we have left over <laughs> before we give some uh, away here. Uh, they may be for sale there. We have uh, some in this color, royal blue, and we have some charcoal. And uh, Mike, uh, would you hand me the uh, the the color? Yes. Oh, oh, they're they're good. Yeah, they're okay. good. We have yes. one here. Oh, that's my color. Um, oh, yes. and I got this for Dana. Oh. <laughs> what did you want? This stuff? No, I, charcoal's fine. Okay. No, this is for stuff. That will look great. I got you. this for stuff. The, uh, yes. the, the hat yeah. into the Very excited. The Thank you. Yeah. So we have a limited number of these available. Hey, so. hey, hey, hey. You hit, That's two. No, it's no fair. Well, Dana, you can have one too. No, I like my hat. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that that is uh, going on. And we have the t-shirts. And uh, you guys have already ordered them. Uh, if you uh, didn't put in an order for the t-shirts that we're distributing in Oshkosh, please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash store and then click on the Osh Blast 2019 logo there and then you'll be taken to the Teespring site and then you can order your own Osh Blast 2019 shirt. Okay, and now let's listen to Nick shovel food into his mouth. Now he's being quiet now. Um, And then Dana, give me a penny. What is this? For that. Oh, this. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Mm. There's a few more things in the... Uh, hmm. Your money's no good I, here. We could probably move into the uh, rest of this stuff in the intro in the Evernote. Oh, yeah. We should probably do that. I mean, I'm just... You were asking. Okay. What is there? <laughs> uh, Matt McDonald took some photos of you, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you, Matt. Uh, he is the guy that uh, kind of commutes from Columbus, Ohio to uh, the Raleigh area i think um the uh uh, what do you call that Uh, the place that we stay there um carolina in chapel hill i believe he lives in the chapel hill area and then he works at a company in um in cleveland and he happened to be there at the time that uh, we were pulling in uh, about a week or two ago so thanks for that matt um i got to meet matt as well he's a great guy yeah yeah he's a great guy great guy had fun with Matt. And uh, let's see. Let's. Uh, oh, we have some uh, audio feedback. So um, Nev and Sue visited Liz, the producer, uh, in Toronto from July 6th or in that time frame. Actually, they were there before then, I believe. Um, she's going to let me know right now because she's going to type in the chat room and tell me exactly when they were there. But uh, they spent some time with Liz and uh, we were following them through social media and it looks like they had a great time. And one of the things they did was they went up and visited John Brown and there is some audio that John sent. So let's play that. The 3rd, 3rd of July through the 10th of July. Thank you, Liz, for 
updating us on that. So let's take a listen to this audio. Whoa. Okay. That's a little bit loud. Let's see. Let me try this. Um, what would that be right here? It's still very loud. <laughs> Dang it. No change. No change. Not at all. Okay. That is... No, I did not. I, a slacker. Okay, why is it so loud? Here, let me try this again. It's still loud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even putting my earphones Wait a minute. in again. Oh, I know what's happening. Sorry. I need to do this. Now. Let's see how this sounds. Turn it off. Hello, APG. This is John Brown from the Sleepy Hollow of Vandorf, Ontario, beside the stream at our pond on our property. Today, we have welcomed an aviation superstar, Sir Neville Bands, who's visiting Liz Piper for the week here in Toronto. So we have come together on a very warm July afternoon in Ontario, and we've been having some refreshments and snacks, and now we're going to be barbecuing. But before we get down to the business of eating, I thought we should go around the table and see who's here. First and foremost, we shall uh, go to the head of the table and speak with our esteemed guest, Sir Neville Bounds. Yes, Nev here, and uh, I have travelled 3,800 nautical miles, almost without incident, to the fine country of Canada. And uh, here we are, just north of Toronto at uh, John and Brenda's house. Absolutely superb hospitality. The weather could not be better, I've got to say. We've had between 28 and 32 degrees today, and uh, very nice it is too. And uh, John's country estate uh, is indescribable, I've got to say. So, absolutely. Absolutely superb, lovely food and drink, and more to come. It's Charlie Popper here, actually enjoying hanging out with Nev and uh, the good Juliet Bravo. I would say that we could do with a couple of the uh, opposing bases guys to uh, control the mosquito population, if we could have some air traffic control on the mosquitoes. Nev has described this as a holiday, but I actually think given the various trade crises going on around the world, he's here tasting different beers to determine which ones he should exempt from taxes for importation purposes. So that's it from me, and uh, good to talk to you all. So as is the case at many of these occasions, there are two polar ends of the table. There are the guys talking about bikes and planes and other technical stuff. And the, uh, the ladies migrate to the other end. So first of the ladies who migrated is my lovely wife, Brenda. And he's going to put me right on the spot. So we ladies have been uh, looking at the fairy garden, discussing various divorces and remarriages and food and no aviation in sight and petting Liz's lovely dog, Hannah. And now over to Mrs. Nav, Sue. Yes, the better half of Nev, I might add. Um, yes, we've tried putting the world to rights, almost, but we've had a walk around this beautiful garden, so I've got garden envy at the moment because it's so much bigger than the one I've got at home back in the UK. So, um, yes, I should be taking some gardening tips shortly. And finally to the APG, 
producer Liz Piper, who was on his short sabbatical, hosting these lovely people from the UK. Liz. Hi, John. Thank you to you and Brenda for having us up this afternoon. It's just so great to be able to bring Nev and Sue up and see your part of the country. And I've been sort of keeping a listen to the aviation end of the couch, even though I've been enjoying my chats with the ladies. Anyway, thanks again, you two. You're very welcome. Now my chores and duties change to be a barbecue master. I'm sure Dana does a better job. I don't have a big green egg, but I'll do my best in the great white north that we call Canada. From Van Dorf, Ontario, it's John Brown for APG News. I'm not quite sure this is the intro to a really... F- Isn't that the William Tell Overture or something? I don't know, but I'm sure that Google will uh, be contacting me. Yes. And, uh, yeah, you were going to that. Slap you for that one. I'm sure that that was copyright-free music, John. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know what? I probably already have an email in my inbox. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> that's how fast they are. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was awesome. Um, I know that uh, Liz had a great time uh, visiting John and uh, Mrs. John and uh, Nev and Mrs. Nev. Yeah, that, I know Nev really needed a bit of a break. He's had a hard time at home, not from uh, Sue, but from uh, more of a work environment. And I think he really needed that. So thank you oh, yeah. very much indeed, Liz and John, for uh, recharging Nev's batteries. I'm sure he'll be much happier when he gets home. Ah, so that's what they're calling. Now he's got home. Yeah. I could use a battery tra- recharge myself. That's what Oshkosh is for. Oh, okay. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. It, it is a vacation, Jeff. <laughs> You're supposed to be enjoying it. I am. I'm I'm enjoying it, and we're not even there yet. Yeah. I'm having Excellent. a great time. Excellent. Yes, brilliant feedback, Tanya says in the chat room. Um. Yes. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention. Uh, Nev took a nice little flight up. But did he um, did he memorialize that through video? Or I know he, I saw some photos from Nev with John in his um, what was it called? A uh, Tobago. His Trinidad. Trinidad. Tobago. To Tobago. 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 Potato. Potato. Let's call the whole thing off. Potato. Potable. What? Potable. Potable. It's going downhill fast, folks. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, okay. If, if this is your first time listening, I suggest going to a different episode well, to try us out. If this is the first, you know what? If somebody is listening to this for the first time, they've already left the show <laughs> by now, right? I hope so. Yeah. If they know what's best for them. Okay. Um, let's see. Anything else that we want to talk about here in the no, very we short intro? Keep this short. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, after I do some editing, it'll be very short. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> oh, you know what? You know what it's time for? It is time for the coffee fund. Ooh. So here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, no thanks. thanks. We love coffee. We love tea. We love the ABG. Community. Coffee and tea and the jar that me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Wait, now we had latency, but everybody is here in the same room with me. That's weird. Tone deaf. Oh, that might be I don't know how to sing. Bad, so, time, bad timekeeping. <laughs> so, this is the part of the show where we talk about you wonderful coffee fun people. But since I didn't prepare, I don't have a list of the people that gave, gave us. Uh, 
donations. But you know what? If you're listening to the audio-only podcast right now, you're hearing all those wonderful people. Yes, you are. And here I am in post. (laughs) I told you I wasn't going to do this, but uh, I had to do a little bit of post editing. And so I'm here now the day after the recording of this last night, and I'm going to read you the list of these wonderful people that we all talk about and appreciate so much. Using the Coffee Fund Classic method, we have uh, recurring payments from Jeff Muller and George Leslie, and two very large donations from two folks. Uh, one, uh, t- he calls uh, himself Terry, but uh, Taras or Terras uh, Papel, and uh, David, David Gonzalez. And both of these fine gentlemen uh, gave us $100. In fact, uh, Terry said that uh, we should use this $100 donation to uh, pay for the, the dump out, the, uh, the black water, the not so nice stuff that uh, we'll be collecting in our RV and uh, we'll definitely need to get rid of um, at least once, maybe a couple of times. So thank you very much, Terry, for that uh, very generous donation. And David, you as well. Uh, Certainly appreciate it. And let's see. We uh, also have some new patrons via patreon.com. And they are, uh, let's see, new producers, Devin McLean and Lane Street. And a new executive producer, Richard Fulton. And a new assistant senior executive producer. That's $10 per episode and up. Wow. Yay. Thank you, Stephen Abreu. Uh, we do appreciate the, the fact that you have decided to become a, an assistant senior executive producer. That is awesome. Thank you very much. And if you all uh, listening want to join the Coffee Fund Cadre and get some of those perks like the uh, crew logs that we like to put out periodically, and we're going to put out a bunch here in the next couple of weeks, uh, please head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee, and you'll learn how you can become part of this great group of folks. Okay, let's move on. Get you know me. what we should probably do? We should probably do a show. The news? Yeah, like the yeah. news. No, that would be novel. Yes. Okay, here we go. Stand by for news. Okay, we have news, aviation-related news. Yep, this is going to be one of the longest editing shows I've ever done in my life. You need to hire an editor. I do. There's a bloke in India right now. (laughs) Speaking of, (laughs) how timely that suggestion you just had. Uh, The aircraft involved... Uh, our SpiceJet and Air India Express. So what does this say? Big questions on safety pilot training after five Indian planes veer off runway. So in the last couple of months, a lot of uh, runway excursions, um, Indian-based airlines. Um, 
Let's see. So as the thing says, the aircraft involved are Spicejet and Air India Express. Half the incidents occurred in wet weather, for which airlines have to ensure their pilots undergo specific training. Uh, it was also the sixth such incident of an Indian airline going off the runway in the last three months. The first of this spate of accidents occurred on 29 April when a Spicejet aircraft, a Boeing 737-800, there you go, that's the problem, uh, headed from Delhi to Shirdi, overshot the runway upon landing. While there have been no casualties due to the mishaps, the sheer frequency of these accidents have raised questions on safety standards, particularly with Spicejet and on pilot training. Of the six incidents, four aircraft belong to SpiceJet, while the other two are Air India Express planes. Uh, the focus on pilot training has arisen uh, as at least half of the incidents, including the latest one in Kolkata, occurred in wet weather, for which airlines have to ensure that their pilots undergo the mandatory monsoon-related approach and landing accident reduction training, or ALAR. Uh, so, anyway, the... the Article goes on to talk about these specific incidents. And uh, so, yeah, they're having some issues with uh, runway excursions over there in uh, in India. And we had a discussion about devices and policies regarding, you know, how we stop an airplane on a runway and why are we having so many runway excursions, etc. on a previous episode. Um, I don't really know what to say about this, actually. You know, the, uh, this is not just an India problem, but the uh, the FAA just also on July 2nd, 2019, just uh, put out a SAFO, a safety alert for operators, titled uh, Turbojet Braking Performance on Wet Runways. So it's also the FAA that's also trying to re-put uh, re the light back on to uh, this problem after the couple of overruns that have happened here in the United States as well. Yeah, it's not definitely not just an Indian problem. No, but the Director General of Civil Aviation in India, the uh, country's aviation watchdog, has made the point, uh, and this was uh, Captain uh, Muhan uh, Ranganthalan. Rangan, Ranganthan. Ranganthan. Nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> he was an aviation safety consultant and a former instructor on the 737, and he says the point... Uh, sorry, this points to very poor training and safety standards at SpiceJet and uh, AIE. Um, uh, and, of course, if you do ha have a problem with your procedures, calculating landing distances, um, appreciating uh, how bad the uh, runways can get in, in uh, monsoon conditions, and uh, don't forget, a monsoon isn't just a, a rainstorm. It can be a horrendous and very prolonged uh, a rainfall amount of rain so that uh, you know uh, runways that uh, might normally uh, serve you quite well can easily become uh, flooded uh, and uh, I don't suppose that some of these uh, airports uh, have particularly long runways although they're particularly well served with grooving or um, semi-porous services so uh, you've really got to take a you know a very close look on your landing distances and apply them very strictly with a large amount of uh, factor in there for this uh, these sort of conditions and it appears that people aren't I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth, Nick. That's exactly what I was thinking. Runway length, grooved runways. Um, you know, a lot of the runways throughout the world are not grooved. So that really uh, affects the friction and the porous uh, runway surface and uh, hydroplaning, of course. 
So if they're uh, shorter runways and not grooved, it's it's going to cause a lot of hydroplaning. Even even uh, you know U.S. domestic carriers have had that problem going into some of the uh, airports that we've uh, <clears throat> we've actually had to highlight the fact that the uh, they're not grooved runways, and we're actually trained now to brief whether they're grooved or not grooved runways. Not groovy. So, yeah, not groovy. So no, no. I, I don't know if anybody else noticed on this photo, but anybody notice how tall these runway lights are? Yeah, those are the. Uh part of the approach light system yeah Yeah, well i don't know i don't know they're pretty tall exactly where they are yeah um mike sent the uh safety alert for operators the safo um to me and i'll include that in the show notes as well regarding this uh issue yeah it's it's something that came up around the dispatch circles i remember when i was dispatching aircraft down to uh down to mumbai um we had a thing it was highlighted in our green pages about uh landing in, in in mumbai especially during the monsoon season and the runway do really highlight the fact that it's not like landing on a normal runway for the for the 330 pilots like we uh like we were sending down to Mumbai and um it is truly a very unique airport i did one of my uh route qualifications down to down to Mumbai it's a gorgeous city great place but man what an eye opening experience going going into Mumbai and actually seeing it seeing seeing it and where you're actually sending an airplane to it really changes the mind on how you send an aircraft there. If you're a dispatcher and you're saying down to Mumbai, I'm pretty scared. Well, we it was an Amsterdam Mumbai flight. It's still not down. Well, from Amsterdam down to Mumbai, it's still south. <laughs> okay, somebody get the globe. <laughs> Come on. Hold uh, on, I've got one right here, right here. Okay, get it. <laughs> um uh, Oh she actually I would does. say more to over to Mumbai. Okay, no, go ahead, down. Steph. We're going to white box uh, you and so we can see you. So where were you starting? Amsterdam? Amsterdam. Which is roughly here. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, is... man. <laughs> oh, man. There. Too bad. I, had the globe. <laughs> I stand corrected. Slapped you. Dispatchers. If you turn the, the globe upright, you know, that's definitely. Darn, dispatchers. Down. Dispatchers. It's telling... still not south of the equator. <laughs> dispatchers telling pilots where to go since the early That 30s. is true. Mumbai is not south of the equator, but it is definitely a further south latitude than Amsterdam. There you go. Thank you, Doctor. That's why you come and listen to this show because we are one hundred percent accurate. This is my very accurate globe that I think I paid. Now everybody knows why I don't fly past Rocky Mountains. (laughs) (laughs) I just Rocky Mountains East. Are they they're south from here, right? Well, yeah, um, right. uh, Yeah, very much so. So, uh, amongst their other problems, I'll mention that I bet they don't put regular uh, runway checks out to see the water depth. And uh, of course, when eventually the water becomes deep enough, it stops becoming a wet runway and becomes contaminated. And then you require a different level of braking distance. And if you don't apply that, then you're going to lead yourself up the garden path. And of course, uh, not all their runways necessarily drain well. So it's very easy to get pooling and portions of the runway, which of course can, as Dana mentions, lead to aquaplaning. But to have uh, five aircraft off the runway in three days, that's a pretty impressive record. Very negatively impressive. Yes. <laughs> All right. Shut up. Nick. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to item B. No, Frank, I'm not going to buy the first round. I'm just going to buy buy all the rounds. Let's just get it out right, right out front right now. Frank, Frank Chandler. Let's talk about Frank Chandler. He has been so helpful helpful in our efforts uh, in uh, the whole Oshkosh thing and the and the the uh, campsite and uh, you know coordinating for all kinds of logistical things. 
fact, in, I think including he's, getting my loud, lazy butt over to the Oshkosh <laughs> <laughs> event. Yeah. Frank, I just wanted to say thank you. We all are appreciating all the help that you're giving us. So there you go. Yes, thank you very much. A personal shout out to Frank, who is in the chat room right now. Yes. Hi, Frank. Um, let's see. Item B. A 22-year-old aircraft maintenance engineer of SpiceJet was killed ooh, after the landing gear of a door of a plane closed on him at the Kolkata airport early on Wednesday. A ground staff found the engineer's body hanging from the belly of... Oh, this is awful. Why this is horrible. This? Who included this? Was this one of those things we were not going to talk about? No, I think it's important to talk about uh, safety around aircraft, mm -hmm. particularly when you're activating hydraulics. Uh, and this is just an appalling accident. They do happen, they're rare. But uh, when they do happen, it just reiterates those things that pilots and engineers always need to coordinate before you're moving surfaces. Uh, and I believe this was probably engineer versus engineer. But if you're going to stick your head inside a, a door that is hydraulically closed, make sure you've got all the safety uh, locks in place and that people know what they're doing. You don't want to lose your head. Exactly right. Or arm. And that, that first paragraph, I can't really read the rest of it because it goes into quite a bit of detail about exactly what happened to this guy. And, uh, yeah, not good. This uh, this has happened at Acme before on the Airbus fleet with AMTs and not safety pinning the doors and uh, yeah, hydraulics. Exactly. It's uh, it's not a good thing. Yeah, it's really, really not safety. And whatever you're looking at right now, Nick, is not a good thing. <laughs> Is that the bottom of the article? Uh, yes. Because I yes. there and I was not yes. entirely sure what that had to do with oh anything in the article, God. and I don't think it has anything to do with anything. I'm just glad that the people that are watching the show cannot see this. Oh, my. Oh, but she looks nice. <laughs> no. She, okay. She, All right, let's move like on. She's affected by anyway. the opioid crisis. <laughs> Safe, yeah. Safety first around the, uh, safety the aircraft. Safety first, yes. Unless you're, and if you're doing anything else, then safety second or third, at least. <laughs> All right. See, Kevin sent us um, this news item. He writes to us and says, hello, Captain Jeff and crew. Hope all is well with you uh, or as you and Captain Nick prepare for Oshkosh. I saw this earlier, but just now have a chance to send it along. It seems Captain Nick's retirement means he'll miss all the excitement like that associated with the lithium lithium ion spare battery sparking a fire. As always, wishing you blue skies and best winds for each phase of flight. Respectfully, Kevin St. John. And uh, this article that he sent us a link to says a Virgin Atlantic plane had to make an emergency landing on Thursday night after a passenger's seat burst into flames. The fire was apparently caused by a, a portable battery pack, according to the Associated Press and police. The A330 Airbus was flying from New York's JFK Airport to London Heathrow, but was forced to land in Boston's Logan Airport after a passenger's seat ignited. The initial investigations revealed a battery pack consistent in, consistent in appearance with the, an external phone charger between the cushions of the seat that caught fire. But Massachusetts State Police didn't offer any further details. So this is one of those cases, and we've seen this quite often in the last few years where we have these uh, issues where people drop their phones or their phone chargers or whatever in their seats. And it's usually one of the fancy, you know, uh, first class or business class seats. Lay flat seats. The lay flat seats. seats yeah. yeah. That really kind of, you know, do a big transformation from an upright position to a 
horizontal, um, horizontal and back. And, uh, the thing that you should take away from this folks and people that listen to the show already know that when that happens, don't move the seat and let the flight attendant know. Bring your, bring your call bell. Yeah. And they'll, they'll know what to do. They'll know how to get the item that you've lost. Don't start manipulating your seat because something bad will happen like this. They're not going to know what to do. They're just going to call us. No, oh, no, they're no, trained. No, I'm only no, no, yeah, no, I'm really no. only kidding. So, yeah, the, we know the danger Dana of pr- at crushing, <laughs> crushing a lithium-ion battery and how easily they can ignite. And once they uh, get hot and they ignite, they can become quite a serious fire risk. So, uh, yeah, folks, drop your phone, drop your battery, drop your iPad down a seat. Do not start messing about moving the seat. Just call the attendant and they will fish it out for you. Um, so, and then job done. Especially if they're cute. The, uh, As they are. <laughs> the, uh, the Acme safety video has now been changed to say, if you've dropped your phone or any electronic device in your seat, do not move your seat and ring your call button. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the automatic. Any electronic and, device? And, and many airlines have done the same thing, haven't flown other airlines too. No, I think it's just Acme. Just Ac- Acme definitely leading the way there, though. Yeah. Do you have me white boxed again by chance? No, you're, un- you're not oh, okay, white boxed anymore. No. Yeah. You were. You were. Okay. No, don't be I'm, so. I'm trying to work out a white box signal for Jeff. Don't uh, during that Don't be one. so hateful. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good white box. Look, signal. I have a lot going on here. <laughs> I know. I, that's why I was just asking. No, yeah, we need no, uh, HR. Here it was on the white box for a little while, and then I realized it was on the white box. There were there were complaints in the uh, chat room. Well, that there's stupid see me. people in the chat room. <laughs> no one wants to talk about <laughs> everything. <laughs> Come on, get a life. All right. Jeff, if they had lives, they wouldn't be watching us. <laughs> That's so true. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. true. <laughs> if we had lives, we wouldn't be here on Saturday night. This. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because driving an hour north and not spending time with my children on my day off, that would be a great thing to oh, do. Oh, no. Look at the guilt trip. <laughs> My, well, my, my wife's in, in downtown Roswell with all the boys <laughs> by herself. I, I didn't, you know put a gun to your head to make you come here and do this, did I? No, no, I, it's, I'm fine. I mean, you are taking my beer to Oshkosh, so it's all good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Ulterior, ulterior motives. Hey, <laughs> just so you know, your beer is replacing my grill. So if you go hungry, <laughs> it's not my fault. All right, D. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm only playing with Jeff over here. Flight really crew am. restrains God aboard Delta oh. flight, returns to Puerto Rico. What? Delta Airlines flight attendants restrained a passenger on a flight from Puerto Rico to New York after he shouted, I am God, and claimed he would save the world, forcing the plane to return to the airport in San Juan, Puerto Rican police and the airline said on Wednesday. Delta credited passengers with helping subdue the man who became unruly on board. Puerto Rican police then took custody of a man identified as Carlos Ramirez, 30, and the case was taken over by the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. The suspect was aggressive and shouted, I'm God. San Juan is going to disappear tomorrow. I came to save the world, and I'm going to end terrorism. And I want another beer. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. And he also tried to enter the main cabin. So where was he sitting? Wait a minute. Yeah. And he also tried to enter the main cabin. When I read that, was I was like, excuse me? I, I, I guess he was. <laughs> Huh. I mean, to be fair, it doesn't sound like he was trying to do anything other than positive things. He was trying to save the world and put an end to terrorism. So, well, I mean, uh, I know what's wrong with that. I know when Jeff gets on the airplane, he does get on and say, "I am God." 
But that's an act. I don't so really need to say that. <laughs> it's assumed. <laughs> he just looks like I mean, God. you're the captain, right? I mean, so if we had a picture of God, it would be like uh-huh. this guy right here, Jeff. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No. <laughs> Although you are a like, godly man. Although well, I have to ask mm. what God is doing flying in an airplane. Hasn't he got a better mode of transport? You'd think. You'd think. A magic carpet ride. I mean, he'd be using the, like the, uh, what do they call it? Star Trek uh, transporter things or whatever, like instantly, uh, by location, all that kind Scotty, of stuff. Scotty, beam me up. Yeah. That's what you'd be saying. That, uh, just a weird story. I thought that was kind of amusing. And you if this was really time, God, time sorry. Says ambient moment. <laughs> if uh, <laughs> if so, all the stories that we get in, in the OCC make it to the news, it'd be a very entertaining thing because trust me, what the things that happen when you operate 35, 3600 flights on a daily basis, this stuff happens every day. And this is not just a one-off. They happen every single day and almost on every single fleet. People, get, on every, people get goofy when they fly on airplanes. And I can attest to that when I worked as a duty pilot, I got to see a lot of this stuff behind the scenes. It's absolutely nuts what goes on. There's there's many times when you we say you can't make this stuff up. You can't. No. Well, speaking of stuff that happens all the time that we just never really hear much about, uh, engine failures. And trust me, there are a lot of them out there. Just look at the Aviation Herald. Um, and uh, recently at Delta, they've been experiencing a lot of uh, issues with their JT-8D engines. And I think Mike will be able to help us out with a little bit of information regarding why that is, uh, because he has a friend that works over at that company. Um, but uh, let's start with uh, this from Brett Seymour from Rocket City. I just have to say one thing. This proves that that JT-8D is bulletproof. Yeah, that's bullet nose cone proof. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, Captain Jeff, Nick, Dana, and Dr. Stefan, mainly Jeff and Dana, since you uh, are the two mad dog tamers of the group. Tamers? Mm-hmm. Uh, They're wild animals. Like. <laughs> okay. Uh, saw this in my headlines this morning. Looks like a forward shaft bearing failure, which causes the end of the shaft to fall off. Ooh, that sounds painful. <laughs> and uh, rattle around in the engine. I'm assuming it was shut down prior to that, and the fan is windmilling at the point in the, of the video in this article. By chance, were either of you in command of that flight? Uh, small chance, but possible. That wasn't me, and I don't think it was Dana either, because uh-uh. I'm sure he would have mentioned that in the, in the intro portion. Um, no, because his, that's a different airline. Oh, I, that's true. Yeah, come I on. could not have been in command Brett, of that airplane. we fly for Acme Airlines. Yes. Let's get this straight. Um. Also, I'm planning on RVing up to Oshkosh. I've got my Osh Blast shirt washed and ready for the festivities. I'll be arriving on Friday if everyone everything goes as planned. So hope to see you all there. Thanks mm-hmm. for all you do. Keep it going. Hey, Brett, look forward to seeing you. Um, it's in Huntsville, Alabama. So a bunch of you, a lot of you, almost everybody listening to the show. Everyone. Yeah. everyone. yeah. Everyone. Literally everyone. This. Thank you. you. Know, I understand. We do appreciate we it. We do it. No, we really do. Um, but it only goes to show that the only important engine failures are ones that people can video. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I need to get that sound clip. Um, but uh, yeah, so engine failures are not that uncommon. And as I mentioned um, there are some airplanes or some airlines out there operating JT-8D engines on McDonnell Douglas products that are experiencing a higher 
mm, occurrence. Higher than usual? Higher than normal. Um, because a uh, momentary blip in the curve, a, a, a main, what do they call maintenance? Uh, I always have trouble with this MRO maintenance, repair and, um, overhaul, overhaul, overhaul. uh, facilities that, uh, this company used, uh, apparently one of them had come across some, some bad parts, right? Apparently. Apparently. I mean, just based on what we hear from our friends at this airline. And, uh, so, you know, it's not uncommon for this to happen, uh, but what made this different and set it apart was the fact that somebody, as Nick mentioned, uh, had a cell phone and got this video. I'm glad he did, or she, uh, because it's very interesting uh, to see the nose cone of the, or the bullet, whatever you want to call it, um, of the um, engine kind of rattling around in the intake area uh, while they're still in flight. But the crew did exactly what they were supposed to do. Uh, when you have a, an, an issue with your engine, they shut the engine down, they landed safely, they diverted, and everybody, you know, was safe and sound. I, I think the most astonishing thing is that actually somebody had a cell phone on the airplane to videotape this. Because nobody, nobody nowadays has a cell that's phone. That's true. Yeah. That's, yeah, wow, what a miracle. That it they, is a miracle. It's actually part, part I, I, of my I, briefing now. I think what's amazing is that actually someone had the window open to see outside of it, to see if there was a problem with the engine. Do you mean the window shade? Yeah, the window shade. Okay. Because I don't think they can open the window. That, that is yeah, the minor be, miracle yeah. there. Well, I, I, thought, I thought you could still open the windows on 88s. You know? Well, yeah, you, you can. can. <laughs> and, we, and we would never know about it, actually. <laughs> you know, honestly, the, the real reason here is because there's a, a great disagreement between the company and the coal shovelers on the aircraft. And, the, I mean, that's really what happened. They just stopped shoveling the coal. Mm, labor I think, disputes. Do, do, we, do we have some um, feedback regarding coal and shovels? I think we read some. Uh, you, yeah. Well, you read some to me in the car, and we uh, had, yeah, a, had no, that a big was, laugh. Yeah, I did. That was an email. We, it's not in this week's oh, okay. show. We well. like to spread out this coal shoveling story. Yeah, whoever it was that sent us the email about uh, coal and the mad dog and shoveling coal and stuff, yeah, that was and, and that did, was hilarious. And, and did uh, <laughs> Acme provide shovels for the crew, or did they have to buy their own? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll cover that in a later. By the show. way, I was so impressed that Delta gave all their passengers thirty dollars. Wasn't that nice of them? <laughs> <laughs> they were to, I, to go eat food. They didn't give them thirty dollars. They gave them thirty dollar meal vouchers. I, I, honestly, right. I bet you they were on the ground in Raleigh Durham maybe maybe two and a half three hours. Uh, engine failure happens. We've already set up a rescue flight out of Atlanta. We've rerouted two pilots to get on it, get it right away. Um, the you mean they, 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 they did. Yes, they, they did. did. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying. If this Our was favorite me, word to reroute. <laughs> if this was this, if this was me, this is what I would have done. If, yes. If I worked for an airline that had a bunch of MD88s and MD90s, um, <laughs> we would have Acme given them at least thirty-five. Yes. Um, but you know, it's this happens all the time. You have an airplane that breaks. You are going to try to keep the schedule. You're going. I had it the other day when I was working the, the 88s. It's a it's a regular occurrence. I've got. Uh, it was in Norfolk or something, or something broke and shocking. An 88 broke. Go figure. And then we went and uh, we sent a rescue flight to go fix it. Yeah, there you go. I'm curious. It's uh, a common occurrence on the MD80, MD88 MD90 fleet. At Acme. At Acme. Okay. They break. Um, an Acme single engine landing, would you uh, ask the passengers to adopt the brace position? Absolutely not. No. Okay. So when this person said, Everyone was told to put their heads down and brace for landing. That's just a normal landing. <laughs> yes. That's, that's part of our normal. 
<laughs> Should normal okay. lad be that's free? Normal. Okay. Again, Jeff's, Jeff's normal. So lady. you know what? This is again. We have to remind you that this was Acme. I mean, it's not Acme Airlines. This no, was no, no, no. Acme is a much more professional. No, we would not have done it, any of that. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on. Um, I'm not going to talk about this one. It's not really that interesting. This happens all the time. Airplanes colli- colliding with each other on the ground. Um, it does. Yeah. Uh, G. Korean Air shrugs off pilot's attempt to drink alcohol during flight. Now, this is an interesting one. And should we play Nigel's uh, audio before we read the article? It might be worth to set the set the okay set the tone. Do we, would you like to set the tone? Oh, by all means. Okay. Uh, so uh, the article is entitled "Cabin Crew Chief Demoted for Leaking Incident." So a Korean Air pilot allegedly attempted to drink cups of alcohol drink during a flight in December, but the airline shrugged it off and disciplined a crew, uh, the cabin crew chief, who reprimanded the pilot and reported the case to the company, uh, and that was subsequently picked up by CBS. The incident happened uh, in December on an Amsterdam-bound Korean uh, Air flight from Incheon, South Korea, according to the CBS. The captain, whilst walking past a tray of welcoming drinks, tried to pick up a glass of champagne. As the cabin crew member blocked him, saying, you can't drink alcohol, the captain said, then you can give it to me in a paper cup, and then picked up a non-alcoholic drink. Hours later, in the middle of the flight, the captain asked the cabin crew to bring a cup of wine. The crew member refused and reported the case to the crew chief. Um, The chief told crew members, including the co-pilot, that they would remain silent until landing. And then they they did that out of concern that the captain uh, might uh, begin upset with them. But uh, the co-pilot told the captain, resulting in an onboard altercation between the cabin crew chief and the co-pilot. After landing in Amsterdam, the crew chief formally complained and wrote about the incident. Now, Air Korea supposedly summoned the captain and the crew chief. Then came a surprise. The company closed the case with a verbal warning to the captain, but they demoted the cabin crew chief for being responsible for the in-flight conflict. Uh, The Korean Air has called the decision fair. Uh, It's true. The captain made a controversial action. Well, in my uh, old airline, that would have been a sacking offense, Uh, but it didn't cause real trouble a Korean air official said. Regarding the demotion of the cabin crew chief, the official said the chief was responsible for using insulting words during the altercation, revealing an internal issue. Now, a lot of us would say if that happened on our airlines, uh, we would have dealt with it completely differently. Uh, but I think we get a good insight from uh, Captain Nige here because he used to work for this outfit. Well, let's hear what he has to say. Hello, APG crew and community. This is Nigel. Captain Nick asked for my comment. I worked with Korean Airlines for about three years and enjoyed my time there, and they treated me well. I've uh, checked with three current Korean Airlines colleagues, and none of them have heard of this incident, which is not surprising. I've also uh, read the original article translated from Korean and I noticed it was over six months ago around New Year's Eve and one person mentioned that the pilot was only joking, no alcohol actually taken or consumed. They would say that, wouldn't they? 
Koreans can be quite fiery when aroused, and I'm sure that, if there's any truth to these reports, an altercation would have occurred. Like many other cultures, Koreans like their alcohol, and I knew of a few who'd been fired for excessive drinking on night stops. The Korean ministry there takes a firm line on alcohol abuse, and random checks are prevalent. There's a strong vertical authority gradient in most airlines, most Asian airlines, and generally in Asia. Part of their culture is to respect elders or those in a higher position. It can present problems with CRM, crew resource management. Having said that, on one occasion, on the one occasion I had an incident, all of the crew performed their tasks perfectly and as trained. This airline has a history of similar behavioural incidents, perhaps the most famous being the previous chairman's daughter ending up in jail for throwing nuts at a purser and ordering the aircraft back to the gate. Although this could all be fictional, I can quite see such an incident occurring and the person meeting strong resistance from the senior flight deck crew. I can also see a demotion happening as a result of an altercation. Sadly, if you're senior enough and know the right managers, any incident could be swept under the carpet. For example, a friend of mine who is an exceptional pilot was fired as a sim instructor because he criticised a senior um, pilot for poor sim performance. As an epilogue, don't become a disruptive passenger on Korean Airlines flights. All of the cabin crew are taser trained. There's a good video on them taking down an abusive passenger with a few thousand volts. He didn't argue much after that. You have been warned. See you in Oshkosh soon. This is Nigel signing out. Thanks for that input, Nigel. Always welcomed here on the APG. Yeah, uh, yeah, very well um, put together little piece uh, about the difference perhaps between uh, some airlines uh, in the Eastern environment and those of us in the West. Uh, where we have embraced uh, and flattened the authority curve so that anyone on the aircraft can raise a concern without fear of retribution. They're a little bit more old school, would you say? Very much so, yeah. yeah. The captain is held in very high esteem and uh, is not in a, the rest of the crew are not usually in a position to uh, contradict him or criticize him. Hmm. Interesting. Thank you, Nigel. Look forward to seeing you at Osh next week. Uh, last, item in, uh, last item in the news <laughs> folder. Turbulence injures 37 on Air Canada flight uh, from uh, or somewhere in Canada to Sydney. Or was it Toronto that they took off from? Somebody help no, me. That was uh, Vancouver. Vancouver. There we go. Thank you. Um at least 37 people were injured on board an Air Canada flight after the plane hit severe turbulence and had to make an emergency landing. The plane, carrying 284 passengers and crew, was traveling from Vancouver. There you go. Good one, Dana. And uh, to Sydney, but was diverted to Hawaii. 30 people were taken to hospitals in Honolulu on Thursday. Nine had severe injuries. Air Canada said the Boeing 777-200 jet encountered sudden clear air turbulence two hours past Hawaii. <coughs> Passengers reported the, the cabin became being bloodied and dented from passengers hitting the ceiling of the aircraft. We all hit the roof and everything fell down, Jeff Smith told local TV station KHON. People went flying. 
Alex McDonald from Brisbane told Canadian broadcaster CBC News that those on board were extremely shocked. Now, let me um, let me pose this question. How many of those people that were injured do you suppose were wearing seatbelts? Zero. None. Hmm. Interesting. And honestly, when I make my PA, um, and I talk about this in flight, and sometimes even on the ground if I'm expecting some turbulence, I always mention the fact that always keep your seatbelt fastened about you because I can never predict any unexpected turbulence. If I have the seatbelt sign off, you're free to move about the cabin, but always keep your seatbelt fastened as you're in your seat. Yep, and that's, I believe, an FAA requirement as well that we do that, or somebody says that. Now, will people listen to that and actually follow that advice? Nope. Some people will, but a lot of people won't. And uh, that is the number one, the leading cause of injuries on airplanes, on flights uh, worldwide, is the fact that uh, we enter turbulence and people get injured because they weren't in their seats with their seatbelts on. That's how uh, turbulence avoidance is measured in um, by airlines is flight attendant injuries. Uh, the, the lower the flight attendant injury rate, the better an airline is at avoiding turbulence. It's kind of sad that that's how they measure turbulence avoidance is that number of cabin staff that gets, you know, injured. You know, and to be honest, there I've encountered situations where uh, certain cabin staff kind of sometimes feel like they're uh, immune to the effects of turbulence and because I've had situations where I've said, look, stop the service, take your seats, let me know when you're, you know, in your seat with your seatbelt on. And they tell me that they are, and then I find out later that they aren't. They're still walking around, you know, doing cabin service and that kind of thing. And that, that kind of irritates me because when I tell them to take their seats and make sure that their seatbelts are on, I, you know, it may be that we don't encounter a situation where we have turbulence bad enough to throw them into the ceiling, but I'd rather be safe than sorry. And well, and, you know, we're, we're in the know. I mean, we are looking, talking, uh, looking at what's outside the cockpit. We're, we're talking to air traffic control. We hear other people reporting. Now we have the other technology of them on the flight deck with the uh, flight weather viewer that we can kind of look in and get a, a peek as to what's going on. So when we say... We want you to take your seats because it's not safe. You ought to ought to listen to that. Now, in this case, we have to be fair to the people that were injured in this situation. Yeah, when the seatbelt light was not, not on. on. No, and so that you know begs the question. Okay, well, so what happened here? Why did the pilot crew not know that they were about to enter an area where they could encounter this kind of of, of turbulence? What do you think, Nick? Well, the forecasts are never 100% accurate. Uh, so they might be at a level that are previously proved to be uh, benign. Uh, the forecast uh, is usually very generalized. Uh, it doesn't specify very small areas. Uh, it might have been a little bit out of date. There may not have been any aircraft trailblazing ahead of them to tell them that they were going to encounter some problems. All of those can combine to hit unexpected. Not a lot of traffic out there in the Pacific Ocean. No, uh, not, it's not like the Atlantic tracks. And a, a jet stream, don't forget, is uh, actually a very thin layer of air. It might be reasonably wide and it can be incredibly long, but it can sometimes be only a few thousand feet 
thick. And the actual turbulent area, um, even smaller than that. So it's quite possible that aircraft moved above and below or even in the center of a, a jet stream without having a problem. But uh, as this bloke uh, encountered, he hit one of the turbulent edges, which was just sufficient to uh, really spoil his day. And we should also mention the fact that the area of the world that they were traveling in, they were at night, and uh, when you get close to the tropical intertropical convergent zone, a lot of times you don't see lightning, you don't really see strong weather returns on your radar, uh, but uh, don't be fooled by what you're seeing because it can sometimes be violent. Build, build-ups don't give lightning at nighttime. You, yeah, I you, mean, you 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 got a towering cumulus in front of you. It's night. You're over the you're over the Pacific. It's not like there's a bunch of lights around to help illuminate any clouds. There, there's none. You don't have the lights on in front of you. All of a sudden, you enter a cloud, and all of a sudden, you're you're going up, you're going down, and you might have some uh, static electricity and discharge on the windscreen. I can't tell you how many times I've been flying during the day, and I'm looking at something outside. I'm going, I'm definitely not going to fly through that. And I'm looking at the radar, and there's nothing, no return on the radar. I'm going. You know, if, you're, if I'm at night, there's not a moon, and it's just very, very dark, I'd fly right through that and not even know it's there. Yeah, and, and that's that's what I was just going to comment. Coming in last night, you know, there was some, uh, you know, activity, th- thunderstorm activity over to the north and west of where we were coming in on the uh, Aussie arrival. And uh, if we didn't have the moonlight, even with a, a bright city like Atlanta, if we didn't have the moonlight illuminating the clouds, there was nothing on the radar in front of us, but there was quite significant buildups right in front of us. And if we had gone through those, not navigated, I mean, we would have we would have went through some pretty, you know, at least moderate turbulence. And I would never have known about it because it wasn't on the radar. So fortunately, we had the moon helping us out last night. Mm-hmm. So if it's a dark night out there over the Pacific, uh, and, you know, I can't imagine that there's a whole lot of traffic coming out of Vancouver going to Sydney. I mean, I'm sure L.A. and and uh, San Fran and so forth. So, I, you know, I can't imagine the tracks being that far off. But still, I mean, all it takes is a couple miles. It doesn't there's, take very much. There's no tracks that way. There's yeah, no tracks. All, no, yeah. it's all it's all UPR. It's all uh, user preferred routing. Um, it's pretty much that way in all of the Pacific. There's published tracks, but you don't have to use them. The Oakland Oakland Oceanic is one of the greatest uh, furs in the in the world. To flight planning because they'll let you do anything that you really want um you you can save a lot your company a lot of money as a dispatcher just tweaking one degree north one degree south you can you can beat the flight planning system very routinely in the pacific and you send your flight plan and they're like yep sure go ahead if you want to yeah the only the only organized tracks are from the west coast to hawaii but if you're going beyond that yeah, there, there's there's published PACOTs, um, which are published every day, uh, twice, uh, four times a day. What's on, PACOT? Uh, Pacific Organized Track System. Okay. And then those are uh, organized, uh, those are two times a day for going um, eastbound and westbound because of the heavy uh, cargo traffic. That's why they put them out twice a day opposed towards uh, the North Atlantic Track System, which is uh, just once a day in each uh, direction. But uh, you don't have to follow those tracks, but those are out every day. And then there's some tracks between Japan and Hawaii. And I believe there are some some tracks um, in the South South Pacific that also get put out. So the bottom line is uh, what you're gathering from our conversation here, especially these flights that are in the middle of the night, um, but actually all the time. If, if you really, I mean, you know, if you need to get up out of your seat, stretch your legs, go to the bathroom, 
go to the uh, bar if your airplane has one of those things. Um, yeah. Um, you know, that's reasonable. But if you're not doing any of those things and you're sitting in your seat, just make sure you have your seatbelt on because, you know, you don't want to be one of those thrown up against the ceiling and then back down into your seat and injured in a turbulence-related incident. Uh, well, still, if the seatbelt signs are on and you get up and start moving around, if you fly in the air, bounce off the ceiling, come down, land, and hurt me, I'm going to sue your something off. Your posterior. Yes, I really will. So your fan do it. <laughs> you, you are forewarned. Well, yeah, I mean, remember when I came back from Hawaii, I did that trip with my wife for her 20th anniversary? Yeah. And one of the things I commented on is they had the seatbelt sign on for the last six hours of the flight. And now, that was, may have been because I just forgot that it was on. It was smooth as glass, <laughs> and it was getting to the point of being really irritating. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I've done that before, not for six hours, but... Uh, it was it was, it was, yeah. it was really bad. I, I've looked up and I go, oh, so there it. is. I forgot to turn that seatbelt light off. <laughs> I, 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 I think we've all done that, but I, I, I mean, I think there is some level of apathy that people become very complacent because, I mean, how often does this really happen? It's very infrequent and you know it, it's absolutely the smartest thing to do is always keep your seatbelt fast when you're in your seat and uh, you know it, it there's, there's no there's no two ways about that but there's also the, the, the point that you know when you have the seatbelt sign on all the time and smooth as glass people are just going to be saying you know yeah. and say okay well it's well, smooth it as glass. doesn't mean what? anything it doesn't mean anything to us so what, yeah. what's what's our you know interpretation here right so human factor you know sometimes we screw things up and forget that we have the seatbelt light off or on, whatever. Okay, that's it for the news. Now it's time for your feedback. Yay! Captain, incoming message. This one, first item in our feedback folder from Tom Harris. He sent us from some audio feedback. Hi, PG crew. Tom Harris here, coming to you from underneath an uncharacteristically blue British sky. I hope you're all doing very well in your relative states of motion and activity. Dr. Steph, going from one strenuous activity to another, like Tigger on ice. We've got Captain Nick, who's trying to adjust to a, uh, a much more laid-back and sedentary lifestyle. Captain uh, Jeff, I feel, is probably looking on to Captain Nick at this stage with uh, increasingly green eyes. And we have, of course, Captain Dana somewhere in the middle. Now, you may remember me from such audio feedbacks as uh, family support for pilots coming out of the closet as a wannabe pilot. Um, and in my last feedback, I think it was good skills. And in that, I think I said that I would hopefully be updating you with my um, progress in flight training and my mission to become a professional aviator. Now, I was given a voucher a couple of years ago, a gliding voucher. And I have to confess, for whatever reason, I decided to sit on it um, because um, the last couple of years have been pretty busy for me, and so I haven't had the time to commit to gliding, um, as Captain Nick will 
explain it's not the kind of uh, it's not the kind of pastime where you turn up, do your bit, and uh, and disappear in time for lunch. Um, it's a much more involved activity than that. So anyway, I've sat in this vouch for a while, and I eventually um, uh, forced myself to to go and use it. Been wanting to use it, just hadn't found the time. And uh, I think we can blame the uh, CFI at the local club. Uh, or my local club, I say it's local, it's about an hour and 20 minutes away from where I live. Uh, but I think we can blame uh, the CFI there for uh, what happened next. We, uh, I arrived at the field first thing in the morning and, uh, and as is custom, uh, helped set up, get the gliders ready, prepare the field, etc., um, a couple of people uh, were on the flying list before me and uh, so when I eventually had a chat with the CFI who would be taking me up he said right Tom conditions aren't perfect for soaring so the chances of getting a decent flight are fairly small so we can do two things we can either go for as long a flight as possible and scratch around and hope that we find something and stay up there for as long as possible but it's unlikely or we can do something slightly more exciting. So I had a little think about it and I thought, yeah, why not? Let's do something exciting. So we line up on the uh, line up on the field. Um, the wing walker attaches the line. Um, the command is given to take up slack and then all out. And before you know it, you are health, um, hurtling down the field. You're at 60 knots before you can realise what's going on. And we're climbing like a jet fighter. Um, feels almost vertical. And then suddenly, click. And it all goes quiet, but just for a short time. And then the CFI, who's uh, sat in the back, says, right, Tom, push forward on the stick and keep pushing forward until we reach 100 knots. So I do that obediently. And then he says, pull back now. And I pull back, and I keep pulling back, and he says, keep pulling, keep pulling. And we end up going right over in a big old loop. And then he says, I have control. So I gave the controls over to the, over to the instructor in the back, and he throws us about the sky for a little while. We do a low pass over the field to the dismay of some of the old boys at the club. He swings us back into a, uh, back into a very short final when we come to a an abrupt halt um, on the airfield. And I think from that point on, I had no hope. I was hooked. Um, and so anyway, to cut a slightly long story short, I've now committed to a fixed price of solo. And I've been wanting to pl- fly now for about five years and haven't been able to justify the money, but gliding seems to present a, a very cheap, uh, or cost-effective anyway, um, way of getting up into the sky and doing the fundamental thing that we all enjoy. Uh, so I since have accrued around about three and a half hours in um, in gliders, and actually, um, I've had a few conversations and done a bit of research, and have found that actually it's um, there's there's ways in the CAA world that we can credit um, gliding hours towards. Um, um, powered flight, um, getting your PPL, and potentially um, 
with a bit of creativity crediting towards um, commercial pilot's license, um, our, um, our requirements in terms of the license issue. So that's interesting and possibly um, a way of saving a bit of money on those overall training costs. Um, but what I've also found is actually there are lots of things that happen um, with gliding that I think would probably help any pilot, um, whether they're a recreational um, private pilot or um, going down the commercial route. Now, one thing that is um, uh, strikes you is that actually you learn to deal with emergencies very, very early on and you learn to make quick and effective decisions. Um, first and foremost, because every single flight that you do is effectively a uh, dual engine failure at V1. You're taking off knowing you haven't got an engine, and nothing is guaranteed until you've got away from the away from the winch. And so you're immediately planning to return back to the field if you don't find some sort of um, lift. And you're constantly looking at your position. You have to maintain excellent situational awareness. Um, you need to know the limitations of the glider, um, and when your point of no return is, and hopefully get yourself back to the field long before that. Um, so there's no time for dilly-dally, you do have to be on your toes all the time. Um, and yeah, you are dealing with, with emergencies. Um, from the word go really, an example of that is um, on my third flight, I think it was, we actually had, uh, there was about 18 knots, um, uh, 15 to 18 knots of uh, almost a, a crosswind on the field and we took a winch launch um, and because of the way the glider weathercocked um, into, the, into the crosswind um, the, the front tyre of the glider actually um, burnt through the cable um, which is like a composite material and so the momentum of the, of the front wheel on the glider rotating um, actually acted as an angle grinder and cut through the cable and we were about 300 feet at the time um, in a stiff crosswind and so my first real um, emergency came on my third flight now given I wasn't in control of the aircraft at that time but um, it gives you a pretty good grounding for for a not having that startle factor you, you try and anticipate everything and b for just dealing with emergencies and, and yeah remaining calm um, and as I say, I've now got uh, about three and a half hours and 14 launches under my belt, so not a great deal. Uh, but I do feel like my handling has come on incredibly well in that time. My coordination um, and um, basic manoeuvres, and we've practised stalls and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think there's a lot going for gliding, and I'm going to try and, um, and, try and promote that a little bit more, I think, um, to those that, that are looking to um, get a career um, in aviation or otherwise I think it builds some excellent skills and I hope Captain Nick that you enjoy your uh, time gliding uh, when you eventually get into it because I know that you said you're looking to um, take that up again after quite a decent uh, length of time away from the field so yeah I think you'll thoroughly enjoy getting back into that scene uh, I certainly am I have a quick question for you guys. Um, you 
recently discussed. Um, I can't remember exactly what context it was in, but um, something to do with if you have a burst tyre on takeoff and you were discussing sort of how you would act in that situation. Um, do you turn back to the field or do you kind of think, well, the tyre bursts, the gear's away, we might as well carry on to our destination. Uh, there was a conversation around that kind of theme anyway. And the, the first thing that I thought was, well, actually, if you have a burst tyre, um, you have potentially damaged gear and fragments of tyre in that wheel well. And the first thing that came to my mind was, what happens when you get to your destination and you lower the gear um, and you happen to be over a city and you've got potentially a couple of hundred kilograms of uh, tyre sitting there in the wheel well, essentially like a bomb, um, waiting to fall on any unsuspecting uh, pedestrians, cars, whatever you might have underneath. So would you take that into consideration when uh, when dealing with that kind of emergency? It wasn't sort of brought up at the time, but that was something that struck me as um, quite a prevalent factor, something to consider. Um, and would there be a procedure to, to try and uh, lower the gear over farmland or water or whatever open space might be available to reduce that risk and actually this is uh, this has become an apparent risk in the last couple of days um, over here in the UK and you may well cover it in an upcoming episode of uh, APG but um, a stowaway recently um, fell into someone's garden in London they had crawled into the uh, wheel well of an air- aircraft I think somewhere in, in Africa I believe it was um, obviously I'd imagine they've been they, they were overcome with the effects of hypoxia before um, before anything but uh, this person when they lowered the, the gear on the approach into Heathrow um, fell out of the wheel well and supposedly landed not more than three or four feet away from someone who was sat sunbathing in their garden so um, it does seem to be a, uh, a concern particularly over populated areas uh, whether that's stowaways or fragmented bits of tyre or, or damaged gear. Anyway, it'd be great to get your thoughts on that. Um, I, will, I will stop there, um, but yeah, wishing you all well and uh, clear skies, tailwinds and all that jazz. Cheers. You're on. Yeah, okay, Tom, thanks very much indeed for your feedback. Uh, and uh, an interesting question there at the end. So uh, if we've had a uh, tyre failure on the takeoff and we've retracted the gear, um, what are we going to do when we lower it at the other end? Well, it's not actually very common for loose bits of the tyre that have uh, survived uh, a burst and then uh, you've taken off and then you've brought it all up to then fall off inside the wheel well. So when you put the gear back down again, because of all the metal that is uh, part of the makeup of the tyre, uh, you're not expecting big hunks of it to fall off. Um, you might uh, have had a runway inspection of the, uh, the airport you took off, and if there are big chunks of tyre on the runway, then that might prompt you to do exactly as you said. Well, if you can uh, put your gear down in a, a safer place than otherwise, 
But quite honestly, sometimes that's not in your remit to choose when that happens because you're in an air traffic pattern and, uh, you know, you have to put the gear down reasonably close to an airport. You can't drag the aircraft around for a very long time with the gear down. Your fuel consumption is extremely high and it rather reduces your options about where you're going to go and what you're going to do. So it, it would enter a good captain's mind, I would say, but it's not a... a, a major concern. After all, tyres are generally designed to deflate, not to burst and throw bits everywhere. So I uh, shouldn't be too worried about that. Yeah, we, we covered the poor chap, that uh, the stowaway that died and fell out over London on the last show, in fact. Um, when it comes to uh, your gliding story, uh, yeah, lovely to hear that you're enjoying your gliding. Still a long way to go before you you have uh, built up a significant number of launches and hours, but you seem to be getting your teeth into it. So congratulations there. Uh, but I think um, we we don't have a huge show, and I know you're um, hoping to get the APG show up to four hours, but we're doing our best to avoid that. So if you uh, might keep your feedback down to a reasonable level next time, uh, I think that would help us keep it to the three-hour mark. I can see you're trying to push us in the opposite direction, but we do appreciate it all, all the same. Ouch! <laughs> now, he did mention that in his email, that he was he was pushing to make this a four-hour show. Yes, he, yes he goes, exactly. What are you I'm, talking I'm about? quoting, no, no, because we do have a lot of feedback to try and fit in, but uh, lovely to hear that you enjoyed the aerobatics and that you're enjoying your gliding. And um, whilst I might uh, just say, if we lose two engines at V1, we're probably not going to get airborne because that's the number of engines we have, and we're still on the ground at that point. So, <laughs> Unless you're in a 340. Unless you're in a 340 or yeah. 747, but quite honestly, if I lose chance. two engines and a 340 <laughs> at V1, I ain't going to try and carry on. I'm going to stop. <laughs> Probably not a good thing to try. No, but uh, uh, yeah, um, I'd love to uh, hear a little bit more from you in the future when you uh, have um, progressed a little bit forward in your flying career. Thanks very much. Yes, thanks, Tom, for your feedback. Uh, moving on to item number two from JJ Pittsburgh. Greetings, APG crew. What's going on? It's JJ Pittsburgh. Um, I'm currently watching the um, movie that Airplane was based off of. Uh, Airplane was a direct parody of a movie from 1957 called Zero Hour. And it's kind of interesting because I just recently found out this uh, fact so I'm watching the movie, and it's actually line by line the same dialogue for the most part without, of course, the, this is the drama. So there's no, like, one-liners and that type of stuff. But most of the dialogue is word for word what Airplane has, and they, they just added their own jokes. But um, I was just uh, sending this feedback to find out if you guys had any more aviation films to recommend because, you know, the internet is a sea of junk sometimes. So if I Google aviation films, they're just a bunch of different things and I don't want to waste my time watching something that isn't interesting. So I thought, why not go to the experts and get an opinion on which ones I should check out um, with whatever free time I have, which is, 
I guess nowadays limited, but um, so anyway, that's it. I'm hoping to get to Oshkosh. It's up in the air due to um, vacation time from work and cost. So we shall see. If not, I'll definitely meet up with you guys soon. Peace and love. Peace and love. Ah, I love that. Top Gun. That's what I was going to say. I hear there's a movie back in the 80s with F-14s and it's called Top Gun. But, you know, I have not seen, I know Steph has. She's Soul Plane. Uh, have you seen that uh, Zero Hour? The one that was, ba- that uh, airplane, the movie was based upon? I have not. I didn't know it was based on. Yes. Something. I thought, yeah, for the longest time, I thought it was based on all those airplane or airport movies like airport it 70 70 something or other yeah. but apparently zero hour is the one that it's actually based upon and uh i i need to i need to figure out how to rent that and uh watch that probably be pretty pretty amusing um jj wish that you could uh or hope you can make it to to uh, oshkosh love to see you there if not as you said i'm sure we'll see you somewhere out there in the world <clears throat> Another one is uh, very fictional, though. Flight. Yeah, flight was yeah, a very fictional. Very fictional. Um, What's it, a very fictional story? <laughs> um, it's, it's incredibly not uh, very fictional. It's, uh, <laughs> um, let's see, Air America. I like that. That was a good movie. Um, that was based on uh, uh, early entry into the Vietnam War, and there's some really good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Short flying scenes that into too. that. Yeah. Um, so I love the way he had his, his airplane blessed. <laughs> uh, Sully. Hey, I bless my airplane every time I do a walk around. Bless you. Thank, thank you. Excuse me. Something that's really abstract is The Aviator. Yeah. That was a good movie. Yeah, it was. It was some. some yeah. Oh, that, yeah. the one with uh, DiCaprio. DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Lin- my Leonardo is about DiCaprio. 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 Yeah, that was a very good movie. I, I remember yeah. that. That's Howard from Hughes. 2004. Yeah. Yeah, Howard Hughes. That was a very good movie. I, I tend to prefer the ones that go back a bit. So, you know, Reach for the Sky, um, The Damn Busters, mm-hmm. um, those kind of Battle of Britain bit after that, but uh, another very good war movie uh, aviation-wise. But uh, Was it uh, The Bridges of Tokyo? What's the one, the one about the Tokyo? Uh, the... Never mind. The, uh, the bridges the, of the, Madison County. Yeah, <laughs> <it. laughs> the, the, okay. About the Doolittle raid. Yeah. Um, uh, come on, something about Tokyo. Come on, chat room, help me out. <laughs> oh, my, if Mike is. Thank there. you. Thirty seconds over Tokyo. Is that it? Twelve o'clock high was a great movie, uh, Mike, uh, because uh, it was uh, compulsory watching for us in officer training because of how well it portrayed the strains upon us, the senior officers in charge of the bomber groups in the UK. So much strain. Oh, yes. 30 seconds of Tokyo. <laughs> uh, uh, the, Torah, Torah, Torah. That was another good one. Dive the, bomber. In the what? nonfiction world, there's uh, Living in the Age of Airplanes was very good. Uh, and One Six Right, which is about uh, Van Nuys ah, Van 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 uh, Airport. That's uh, by Brian J. Twilliger, who uh, produced both of those uh, movies. Living in the Age of Airplanes is absolutely is absolutely amazing. Bridges movie. of Tokyo Re, maybe. That another, sounds... another more abstract one is War Base is the uh, Bat Twenty One about the uh, pusher puller. Um, uh, what's it? That Cessna? What was that? That Cessna? Uh, what? what uh, Skymaster? Skymaster that was mm-hmm. uh, rescuing a 
um, a down general or major that was uh, flying support for him and trying to you know help him through the rescue. So Bat 21 is actually a, a, an abstract uh, movie that most people don't think about. Uh, das Boot was very good, but doesn't have any airplanes in it. <laughs> yeah, that was excellent. Um, <laughs> yeah, das Boot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I just, it wasn't Hunt for Red October, too. Yeah. And oh, the, there that's another good airplane movie. Cruel <laughs> Sea was another great one that didn't have any airplanes. I, I, just Googled, I just Googled the, the best aviation movies, and what's scrolling on top of Google is actually a pretty pretty decent list of movies that I would watch. I don't think it, if it's too much um, garbage in there. I mean, you got movies like oh, The Damn Blue Max and The Red Memphis Baron. Ace is High. I did the same thing, brother. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting yeah. there scrolling through them, seeing which ones I've actually watched. And actually, I think out of all these movies, I've watched probably 80% of them. It's because we're nerds. Yeah, well, no, I'm not a nerd. 633 Squadron, that was another reasonable one. Flying yeah. Tigers from John Wayne. Yeah. That's a good one, 1940. John who? Um, Catch yes, me if you can. The, uh, uh, thank you. Thank you, Mike, for the... Uh, 30 seconds over Tokyo. That's exactly the one I was thinking of. Not the bridges over Tokyo or the bridges over or bridges of Madison County. (laughs) (laughs) I never saw that, by the way. Well, this one's in reference to Captain Nick over there. A yank in the RAF. A yank? Yeah, a yank in the RAF. I don't think he's a yank. No, no, there was a yank in the RAF. Ah. 1941. Or how do you think we flushed the toilets? Captain Nick was yanking in the RAF. <laughs> but we can't really yanking talk about that. what? <laughs> Making the chain, show. of course. Family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Yes. And we have a thing there. Uh, family show. There we go. Oh, I actually found it show. pretty quickly. All right. Uh, item number. Liz, help us here. <laughs> How long have we been going? Too uh, long. Too long. Is it the two-hour <laughs> point yet? Think about forever. <laughs> I think about twenty-five minutes ago it was twenty-five minutes. Really? To two hours. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do this one next then. <laughs> uh, afternoon, all. I hope everyone is well and that Captain Nick has time to enjoy his retirement. It was great to meet up for some grub and a pint a few weeks ago. I fear this may turn into a rant. Try reading it behind some suitable rap music. Oh, no, I don't want to. If only YouTube wouldn't let you. No, I don't like rap music anyway. I fly fly a bit for work, not as much as you guys, but once or twice a month. Well, for some of us, that's about right. Uh, Occasionally, like today, I get to I fly more than that. Uh, I get to fly not from my regular short call, short (laughs) short fall airports, but somewhere unusual. I'm sure most regular travelers know their airports and where they can enjoy good food or find a quiet spot in the AC. As soon as you are out of that zone, you become a regular regular traveler and, well, just a bit grumpy. So, my list of what a good airport slash flight slash travel experience is. One, queues at check-in. Horrible. Why are airlines always surprised at the number of people arriving to check-in? Staff the desks, please. I don't know. Uh, Number two, security. I hate queues. My local airport, I can normally be home to departure lounge in 15 minutes, including checking in a bag. Put the staff on and just put anyone who turns up with liquids not in a bag right at the back of the queue. It's not like there are enough signs or even a new rule. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Well, I guess people are out there that have never flown before, apparently. That's called pre-check. Yeah. Passengers are not cattle. (laughs) 
Okay. Uh, don't send us to <laughs> don't send us to a gate more than an hour early, especially when the plane is nowhere near the airport. Likewise, please don't pull us past the gate to leave us to queue for twenty minutes on stairs. It's not even safe. Four flight attendants, stop chatting and say hello. Really is appreciated. Yeah, I agree with him. Uh, oh, and don't bother with the full announcement unless it really is. It's kind of obvious when it's made up. Not sure I understand what he's talking about there. Probably the welcome aboard of safety announcement. Okay. Pilots. Required by the FAA. A good PA makes all the difference, especially when things have not gone to plan. Keep the passengers informed as far as you can. I agree with that. If you say you will have more info in 30 minutes, then even if you have no other info other than another time for more info, say it. And I do. And I think that Dana does as well. And that's actually in our guidelines. You know, just communicate, even if you have nothing to communicate. (laughs) So um, that's always a good thing. And uh, but unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there that don't do that. I love the way Captain Dana talks about his preferred passengers, of course, by specially welcoming them. He kind of devalues the less preferred passenger. (laughs) Yes, Dana has his preferred passengers. While many of the regular guys spend business money from a travel department, the person behind them has chosen to spend their own money with the airline. Should they be any less appreciated? I can answer that. That's why when I am standing in the doorway saying goodbye to every single passenger that gets off the aircraft, like most pilots unfortunately don't, I'm I'm saying that you are valued and that I go ahead and I make a personal um, PA, a personal um, presentation to my first class passengers, and then I make an entire aircraft presentation very much in the same way that... that, I do for the first class passengers, and then I take the time to thank everybody on the aircraft. So actually, it sounds like I'm I'm putting a presence on just the preferred passengers, but actually, I tell everybody that's getting off the, off the aircraft that we do appreciate their. I, I do see his point though, because um, okay, so a typical, how many first class do we have? Sixteen. Sixteen. So um, there may be twenty, twenty five, thirty, like people that could be sitting in first class on our flights, but. Because they didn't have the same rating or whatever is used to determine their status. Uh, they end up sitting in Comfort Plus or even Economy sometimes. And I can see his point. Like, you know, we we probably deserve the same kind of special treatment that you're giving your first class passengers, except that we didn't kind of make the cut. I, I do see his point. Um but how am I supposed to go through the whole aircraft and personally thank everybody? And that, you know, that's why, that's why I, I mean, I understand why you do it. And it's one of those things that our company does actually tell us to do. Um, but I don't because I feel like everybody on board is a special person. And I do realize we have a high value passenger um, component on each flight. And uh, I just, for me, it just doesn't feel comfortable it just didn't feel right to me so i try to just address everybody but what you're doing is actually what we're asked to do so you're you're doing the right thing you guys are lucky you get to actually see our customers some of us are stuck behind in a in an office you know manipulating their lives without them knowing it and we don't get to say thanks hey 
Thanks yeah. for feeding my family because honestly, that's what they're doing. They're providing us the food, uh, the money. Oh yeah, to uh, put our put their uh, food on our table and live uh, live the lives that we do. And our high value passengers do really, you know, they they spend a lot more on average than most people out there flying, and we do appreciate that. And Dana is so correct when he says that, you know. Regardless of where you're sitting on the airplane and how many times you've flown on our airline, you're still an important person. And that should be the reason why I spend the extra five or ten minutes to say goodbye to everybody. And I know that we've had this discussion, Dana, that it irks us because not only should we be saying goodbye to everybody on the flight, unless there's some reason why we need to go like right away, like a very short connection or whatever. Um, but, uh, there's so many that don't and, and even our flight operations manual says that we're supposed to do it. Right. (laughs) It's like, so, you know, I think it's an important thing and I think that people, maybe a lot of people don't appreciate it, but uh, there are some that do. It's, it's amazing to me how many times I have to kind of push my first officer to get up. You know, they're sitting over there packing up their bag. They don't even bother opening up the door as we're deplaying the aircraft. And, uh, you know, it's like. Go, you know, go say goodbye to the passengers. Right. That's part take, of our job. Take take credit for your hard work and say goodbye to them. Now, it's not necessarily part of every airline's job, but in our airline at Acme, it states specifically in our operations manual that we are supposed to do that unless there's some reason, you know, like a reasonable reason for us not to. And in the cases, and I mentioned this before, where we have like a tight connection and I really do need to go, I usually send my first officer first to say, go ahead and go. And then... You know, do as much as you can to prepare the next flight, and then I'll wait until at least, you know, most of the people are off the airplane, then I'll make a PA and say, look, normally I stay here to say goodbye to everybody, but we have a tight connection, and we have passengers that are waiting for us, depending on, on us to provide them with a on-time flight. So, thank you. I'm going to take off, you know. And just that is enough, I think, to, you know, satisfy that uh, extra touch. And, and David, you talk about, uh, you know, communicating. Uh, believe it or not, the other day when I was heading up to Newark with all the delays, even if I didn't have anything good to say, in other words, really good news that we're leaving the gate, uh, I always would take the time to go ahead and, and uh, communicate with my passengers. So I take that to heart. I, I, I do appreciate the uh, the need to communicate, but I wish I could take every single one of our Acme pilots and say, this is what we need to do. Uh, because I sat there as a first officer for you know better part of ten years, and very few exceptions. Uh, there, there are a lot of guys that just don't do that. That just don't go yeah, the extra mile. That's, you know, that's a shame. I think it is. I, I think it's an absolute travesty. Yeah. Even just making a welcome aboard PA, you know, it, it's almost like pulling teeth for some of them. So. You know, you, we feel like okay, well, what's the big deal? Nobody really cares. Well, there are people out there that care. So, um. Baggage. Airports can please try not to be surprised when a flight in the air for an hour or several arrives. Have the baggage team available. Don't lie either. The airline the airline may be fooled, but the passenger can see the bags have not been delivered. This completes my rant. As ever, great show. Keep the blue sky up. And for Nick, the lawn balls rolling. Hope you have a blast at Osh. <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. Is that some kind of a special message? There? It's a lot like Oshkosh, except it's Oshkosh. Um, 
And that was, again, from David. Yeah, so the, the G is next to the H. Ah, okay. <laughs> wow, you cracked that one. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. Took some doing. <laughs> so, Steph. Hi. So, what do you think about it? Where have you been? I'm sorry. I um, <laughs> Doing something yeah. more important. She went for a five-mile run. <laughs> I think she may have. <laughs> she she yeah. just ran another marathon. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I should have probably explained this at the beginning of the show, but I do actually have uh, friends over at the house, and they've been... Um, Part of the reason why they came up here is because I have a subscription to HBO and they wanted to continue binge watching a show that they've been watching, but they don't have HBO. And I left them to their own devices to do that while I was doing this. But then dinner was served and I felt obligated to rejoin them for a bit. To and you were hungry. Food. I was also hungry. So <laughs> I apologize for disappearing for the last hour. But um, yeah. Well, we're so right. glad you're back with I'm us. I'm back, though. I'm here for the duration. Just in time just, for playing tiles. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Well, I just set them back up with the uh, HBO Now app, which is streaming to the TV, and they've got like five more episodes of this show to watch. So, What are they I'm watching? Big Little Lies. Hmm. Yeah. I have not watched it. I would. I mean, they're like, do you want to watch Big Little Lies with us? But they're into like season two already. I'm like, well, I've watched none of it. So, yeah. no. But thank you. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. They seem... They seem content. Well, that's downstairs. that's important. It's kind of like how yeah. what we do with children sometimes. Here, just, just watch Paw Patrol. Just sit yeah. there. We just have right. stuff to do. <laughs> but then I had to reset it back up after dinner because they had left it playing and it went like four episodes ahead. And yeah, I'm using the Chromecast <laughs> to do it because my actual TV would not connect to the internet because technology, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's good times. <laughs> and then the Chromecast was all messed up because it, I wanted to go back and it didn't want to do that and just wanted to keep plowing Google, ahead. get it together. Come it on. Where it was. Yeah. You know, I fixed it. It's good. We're good. good. So. All right. Okay. Well, you Did know. Did I miss anything important? Uh, Not really. <laughs> you no. missed it all. Blah, 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 okay. blah. That's all we were doing. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> but now we have something that's definitely worth listening to. And it is the third part of the interview with the professional aviation photographer jeff lee so here we go old pilot take it away how we were going to get that that hundred knots quickly when when the range called 350 to 450 how we could get there the old pilot's plane tales jeff lee master photographer part three I continue my interview with Jeff Lee, who is the chief photographer for British Aerospace and who worked for Eurofighter, Airbus and many other famous companies. His skill as an air-to-air photographer is renowned throughout the world of aviation. We left Jeff trying to get a photograph of the first RAF Typhoon ASRAM missile launch. So what Sally worked out whilst we were in transit was to actually dive down a thousand foot, whatever height they were at, we'd be a thousand foot above, put the aeroplane into a dive and obviously full throttle, and that would give us uh, a fairly rapid means of gaining that 100 knots. But of course, what we didn't take into account, that range also say, turn left, turn right, 10 degrees, five degrees. Now on a Eurofighter, when he turns right 10 degrees, he snaps there and he's instantly there. For us, obviously, we're lagging behind and we're still gaining speed. And we actually, when, when they, the pilot calls firing, firing now, we were just in the right place. And that shot, that, that 
gives me a lot of pleasure, primarily because it was the first time I'd ever used a digital camera to use um, for a firing. And I knew on an old film camera I could get eight or nine frames a second, and I somewhere within that roll of 36, I would have the money shot and one either side of that. But I would always have the money shot. But uh, at that time, the Nikon D1, uh, for me, I, and where I worked at Kingston was actually, which is still there, opposite Nikon's headquarters, and I, we knew the, the, um, the salespeople quite well. So I went over there and said, how do I get my camera to get any frames per second? Because at that stage, digital photography was pretty crude. I had to turn off all the automatics, and instead, instead of using the, the full frame uh, at that time, the FX, I had to then use the DX, so to get more megapixels, I had to use a smaller frame. And I turned off all the automatics, manually focused, manually hit, I'd already worked, sorted that out anyway, and then obviously pressed the shutter, and I, I could get to about five to six frames a second, but I got the shots. And I actually, when I give talks today, I put up on the screen, again, I, my second missile firing was I shot on film, and then I show the shot on digital. And the quality, you can see, the f not the flames, but the afterburn of the, of the, from the missile. And you can see all the rings. It is incredible. And that picture, and I think the actual uh, megapixel error was maybe five or six megapixels. And that picture, has, uh, we've blown it up to 40 metres by 20 metres. Good Lord. And the quality is outstanding. That's remarkable. Are there any um, pictures where you actually go, well, this was an award-winning picture, but it was actually pretty easy to take, quite honestly? <laughs> it's probably not for me to say. It's, yeah, I think I might have one or two in my, uh, my library. Uh, but I'll tell you another little true story. It's not necessarily about military airplanes. Uh, when Concorde was going into retirement, I was asked by Airbus and BA Systems to organise two helicopters but uh, one of the helicopters to have like the the aerial platform in it which like you see on the, the sky or the ITN helicopters and they've got the big police uh, gimbal at the front so I was asked could I um, you know order two of those I went from meeting to um, Filton both the the last the, the when they were going to bring in the last Concorde into Filton those two pilots actually uh, I met uh, they, we jumped into a helicopter. We actually covered the route as I was the main photographer and we were working out the shot of Concord over Clifton Bridge. So I took a, a digital camera. We worked out heights. We turning points. That's the shot. I worked out what lens, where the helicopter was. And on the day, uh, I went uh, with, I think it was Sky News I was with. He was, They had got the contract but they were going to pull it to bbc and itv but their cameraman was the the guy that was going to operate it and there was a second helicopter of which i met a, a local young a bbc photographer um whatever the local newspaper is in bristol never been in a helicopter before never been in an air never done an air-to-air -air before he was he had been sent to cover this concord flight and there was another news uh, uh cameraman in the second helicopter so we were the prime helicopter to do shots of Concorde over the factory. And then we had to position ourselves to get the shot over the bridge. So there we were lined up. We saw Concorde come into view and believe it or not, he turned a second early. And my shots are not over the bridge. They're over the houses, the river and no bridge. And the, the, uh, the, the cameraman 
because we were slightly, he turned early. He didn't get it either. So this young lad who's never done anything in his life before, he got the winning photograph. And I've got to admit, it's absolutely brilliant. But this guy has won awards for, for that. But essentially, you know, I should have got an award for setting the whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I didn't get the photograph. <laughs> oh, yeah. As you say, the money shot. <laughs> I love it. Now, you're an independent freelance photographer now. Plain Focus is your company. Do you, you obviously still do a lot of aviation jobs. Can you list all the aircraft you've photographed over the years? Yeah, uh, essentially, I've got to admit, most of them are military. Um, but in recent years, I've been still using military, old ex-military airplanes to photograph civil airliners. Uh, but yes, uh, for example, uh, if you look at um, the Royal Air Force airplanes that I've photographed, uh, we'll start right at the beginning. So Nat, Hunter, Hawk, Jaguar, Buccaneer, Phantom, Harrier. Eurofighter, Takano, Bulldog, Whirlwind, <laughs> Sea King, Wessex. Uh, Wessex uh, and I've flown in most of those as well <laughs> from Valley. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, and then I've been on modern day helicopters, Merlins, Chinooks, Apaches. Uh, so, yes, I've, I've, uh, I've been and obviously transport aeroplanes, uh, lots of flights in Hercules out the back photographing aeroplanes. Um, so, yes, a whole range. And then airliners. Uh, I've done quite a bit with British Airways over the years. I was very fortunate. I was asked by British Airways to photograph the... They painted up um, a Dove paint scheme on their on their Airbuses, a yellow a Tracy uh, Emin um, design. And I went out as soon as it came out of the paint shop. Uh, again, we met up over, over Kent and um, I actually did the air-to-airs on that. Uh, when they got their first 787 during its training flights... Again, everything was totally um, briefed and everything. And they also wanted a shot uh, because it, part of its uh, flight was going over near Derby. They wanted a shot of the uh, Rolls-Royce Spitfire uh, flown by Phil O'Dell uh, in formation with the 787 over Derby and also the Rolls-Royce factory. So again, I was commissioned to do that for them. Fabulous. Talking of the Spitfire, do you do many Warbird style well, pictures? Well, again, I've got another story for you. Uh, this was about five or six years ago. And this one was quite a special one because, um, again, I'm very lucky. I've worked with the BBMF, the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight, quite a few times over all the years. But this one really was was really, it was one of these super jobs. I got a phone call on the Monday from British Airways. Again, a pilot friend who was ex-Air Force. And he said, Jeff, on Saturday, just to give you an idea what's happening, the Battle of Britain, I think the association, have hired a Airbus to fly over southern England to show um, there were going to be 14 Battle of the Britain pilots that were alive at the time, actually in the aeroplane, with loads of VIPs. And I can't remember all of them because obviously I wasn't on that aeroplane, but there were loads of dignitaries on there. And what they didn't know, so they, all, they were going to go over the you know, Biggin Hill and the south coast to where they, always, where they fought and also where they took off from. But what they didn't know is that the association had actually booked a Spitfire and a Hurricane. And when they arrived at the south coast, the pilot was then going to um, start playing Battle of Britain music. And, and on that queue, a Spitfire and Hurricane would actually appear in their windows either side. Oh, wow. So this was Monday. So they said, Jeff, could you come up with a plan? Uh, oh, by the way, um, could you come up with a suggestion of how, we, how we'll do it? Um, 
and where we're going to do it. And oh, and by the way, can you uh, rent an aeroplane? Uh, can you uh, get a pilot? Oh, and uh, for tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, we would like some thoughts of of how to put it together. So then I went about finding an aeroplane. Um, so then again, I contacted my ex RF friends and I found a JP3 that we could use. And the most important thing was it obviously had to have a little bit of endurance. And they, they actually, finding you not throttle bashing, they were actually not too bad for what we required. Wednesday afternoon, I got an email to say it had been approved. Saturday came, but before then, obviously, with B8, with the British Airways, and I was very lucky that the two guys flying the Spitfire and Hurricane were two old mates of mine, ex-Air Force guys. And also, the guy flying the Airbus was Paul Chenton, who was an ex-Battle uh, of Britain and F3 pilot. Oh, brilliant. So, they knew my name before it all turned up. I knew them. So, I knew I was dealing, again, even though it was British Airways and, obviously, independent Spitfire and Hurricane guys, we all knew each other. So on the day, believe it or not, uh, we had to pick our aeroplane up from East Midlands and then go come down to Manston because that was our rendezvous point uh, over over Manston. Spitfire and Hurricane came from two different bases. I don't know where, but they came from different places. And obviously the Airbus came from uh, Heathrow. We got airborne at our allocated time and we had to hold over Manston. Then we got a call on the radio to say the Airbus was late. Then the Spitfire and Hurricane uh, turned up but believe it or not the reason we were late because British Airways what they hadn't thought of was that 14 old people that needed 14 wheelchairs <laughs> and that was a delay so we basically oh, went to height we, uh, we we just went in circles with the Spitfire and Hurricane and then eventually we got the call I think they were about 15 minutes late the Airbus went uh, a full pelt to come and join us and we literally joined up we went um uh, past Dover again uh, this stage they had the, the guys had no idea what was turning up and then suddenly obviously we got on the radio the spit and the hurricane just gently rose uh, either side and apparently so we heard from the captain after we landed the guys on board were just like they couldn't believe you know that made their day seeing those aeroplanes oh super Absolutely so we, we literally went went to seven sister did two circles went back to um Manston. Then we had to go back to North Weald because I'd organised an ITV uh, van to turn up, a satellite dish. I literally downloaded, uh, I gave him my videotape. I then legged it to Heathrow uh, with my cameras. I didn't even have time to get out my um, flying suit. Drove to Heathrow. We downloaded the images and put them to the newspapers. At the six o'clock news, my footage with the stuff that was on the Airbus was already being transmitted. Oh, superb. And on, on, the, on the bank holiday Monday, it had it uh, all my images um, over the um, over the seven sisters. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Do you have any uh, anecdotes uh, that you particularly enjoy telling over the dinner table? What's one of your favourites? I've been very fortunate. I've flown with the Saudi Air Force, the Omani Air Force, the German, the Italian, the Spanish, uh, all fantastic air forces. Met some lovely people, but. We were doing we were doing some flying in Oman, and um, we were f photographing and filming um, some Jaguar airplanes, of which there was a, a, a an ex RAF guy over there, who um, again I've met in the UK at Coltishall and a few other places. We we did this uh, Jaguar sortie, air to air sortie, uh, and that all went incredibly well. And then we had to transit back to Mazira, which is a little island um, uh, to the east of uh, Oman. 
And uh, we transited back, probably not the same altitude as we would have done in the UK. Uh, and uh, we got back uh, to uh, Mazira to find out that the sea fog had uh, occupied the um, the island. And again, I'd experienced that at RA Valley uh, with Nick. So I suppose I sort of knew what might be coming up. And uh, I also had been looking at the fuel gauge to realise that um, we probably weren't in a good place if we couldn't land. So we approached the main main runway. And as I kept looking left and right out of uh, our little aeroplane, uh, I still couldn't see any ground or concrete. And eventually we had to abort uh, landing because um, we just couldn't see the runway. Um, and then went round again. And uh, my pilot was 100% confident that uh, we would make it this time. And uh, as we came down to decision height, uh, we literally just saw the uh, black and white piano keys uh, at the end of the runway. So he literally slammed the aeroplane down uh, and relief to my eyes because uh, we were very, very short on fuel. Wow. Wow. Now, photography served you wonderfully as a career, Jeff. How's it changed over the years? It's changed an awful lot, primarily with the equipment, going from film to digital. The other side of the coin is in the old days, um, either we would process our films ourselves, produce contact sheets, give them to the customer, um, and then they would decide what prints or we would decide prints, then we order the prints, then it would come back. Whereas today, I take my images and debriefing a sortie. That, that's probably the first thing that you encounter. So as soon as we land, have, get all our kit off, um, our flying kit, um, then we, we sit down, we debrief, and I'll get my laptop out, put the um, uh, CF card in. And I won't go through every picture, but I'll just pick one or two pictures and I can put them either on the laptop screen or we'll put them on a screen. I can just say, right, this is, you know, uh, position number one, line of breast stepped up or echelon stepped down or whatever. I can show them an image. We can learn. I can learn from them. And, and again, they can learn from themselves. So debriefing's better. People no longer want prints. Uh, everything now is electronic. So I'll send them a CD, a USB stick, or I'll WeTransfer. Whatever they want now, they can have it almost instantaneous. Absolutely. But hasn't it turned almost every enthusiast into a potential aviation photographer? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not going to get bitter about it. It is what it is. And I first experienced it uh, in Italy about uh, 10 years ago. I was doing a job for Eurofighter. And it was um, Michael Schumacher was uh, driving for Ferrari and uh, our test, Italian test pilot, what they wanted to show over three ranges or distances, how whether the Eurofighter could win or whether the Euro, whether the Ferrari would win. It was it was that year's f uh, Formula One car, and it was Shumi actually driving it, Brilliant. and it was one of our test pilots that was flying the um, Eurofighter. The bottom line is, once uh, that, that Eurojet engine lights up at the at medium to short distance, the Eurofighter was always going to win. So. Where I first started to notice it is that um, at the end of it, we wanted some photographs of test pilot, Schumacher, behind his car with Eurofighter behind that. And there was an awful lot of press there, primarily Italian, but there were a few other Europeans, obviously us there. And then there was all the security. And we were trying to get these shots. And this was where I first noticed the mobile phone and iPad started. Half our shots we couldn't use because there was everybody's putting their, their mobile phones up to take pictures. And they were for themselves. You know, we were doing it for the world's press. 
That's when I first started to really realize that digital photography, yes, it's great, but actually mobile phones can be a real nuisance when you're you know, trying to do something professionally. Brilliant. It's been fabulous talking to you. Have you got any final thoughts? All I can say is I've been in this business for a long time. I'm probably coming to the end of my active uh, air-to-air career, but it's it's been a fascinating career, uh, and I'm I'm proud of what I've achieved and what I've done. Uh, I've won a few little awards here and there for you know various projects we've been in, but it's I think if I was starting out now as a young photographer. Uh, with what's happened within the industry. If I was starting out now, I would probably question myself whether I'd want to get into photography. Not because I don't enjoy it, and I still, to this day, I still get a buzz, you know, when I put my flying suit on, get the cameras and walking, you know, and sitting in a, with a, an ejection seat or whatever aeroplane. That, that has never diminished. I thought one day, you know, there was a time where I was just like, I really can't be bothered. And, and I've never got there. Photography, I love it as much today as I did all those years ago. But as a career now, uh, I don't know. But, you know, I'm, I still, to this day, I'm, I'm fighting fit and, you know, I'm always ready for my next air-to-air sortie. Brilliant. I want to thank you very much indeed for giving us your time and sharing your experiences with us. My pleasure, Nick. My enormous thanks to Jeff for his time and his insights into this fascinating subject. If you want to see what Jeff's up to and take a look at some of his images, visit his website at plainfocus.com. Wow. That was amazing, the uh, three-part interview that you did with him, Jeff. Was it Lee? Jeff Lee, yeah. Yeah. Lovely guy, an enormous uh, amount of uh, skill in his field. Uh, and a great insight into, uh, you know, how he has progressed. Um, he's seen it all, really, from a photographer's point of view. Uh, you know, we as airline pilots, you know, we start off on something basic and move up to something grand. He started off, uh, you know, uh, on the old wet film days. Uh, cameras weren't really designed to be taken into the air, and he's moved all the way up into the full digital stuff, and now he uh, can control uh, multi-camera um, images, uh, you know, and set up formations, do all the complicated stuff that he has taken uh, a lifetime to learn. I and mean, he's a lovely bloke and uh, has produced some great images. Yeah. Very I'm interesting. I'm still very stuff. jealous of his job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. I, well, he, he's flown in most of the Royal Air Force's right? past jets, <laughs> quite honestly. He's got about 400 hours in a Hawk. I know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he's awesome. yeah, he's he's had a ball apart from anything else. So I'll I bet if something happened to a pilot that he would know how to fly the airplane and get it down. I think it's a good chance. Yes, and he probably be able to take some pictures of it while he was doing it. <laughs> probably at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it uh, here in the, uh, the and the, not in portrait mode. No, yeah. <laughs> of course, with the, with the Hasselblad. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. You can yeah, roll it, it any which way you want, and it's going to be the same, right? Square. Uh, yeah, exactly. He said that was very handy at times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is very cool. I had a chance to, I've been listening to the series, it's a great series of interviews. It's the first time I've actually been listening to it where I haven't been driving the car, but actually gone to his website and looked at the gallery and uh, sitting here, Nick uh, showed us some photos that'll be in the show notes. It's just absolutely amazing photography. Just the fact that, you know, that's not Photoshop. That's his, that's his actual pictures that he's taken. It's just a great artist. Yeah, thanks. So, so many nowadays you see people putting up images that are sort of uh, tweaked off um, Microsoft Flight Sim or they're photoshopped or whatever, or heavily um, 
processed uh, to make them look more dramatic than they are, but he didn't need to do that. No. No. All right. Great. Thank you, Nick, for those great interviews. N- next week, back to death and destruction. Oh. <laughs> mm. Woohoo. Yay. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you've had a break. <laughs> so. Yeah. Thanks for the uplifting we, interviews yeah. for a change. We need those every once in a while. A little uh, yeah, break up. The... Absolutely. <laughs> Sadness. We're going to skip to item six, Jen Knight from Rudy's Barbershop in Hollywood, North, West Hollywood, California. Uh, he's, she says, aviation enthusiast here. I live in Los Angeles. And of course, when the earthquakes happened late last week, my first thought was, what would happen to a plane taking off the exact moment the earthquake struck? I assume it would probably be pretty catastrophic, especially with a full tank of gas. What is your take on this? And landing, I guess, would probably be less impactful than takeoff, but still could be pretty bad. Are there instruments that alert ATC of an upcoming earthquake? Thanks for your time and all of your podcasting, Jen. Oh, Nick, do you have an opinion about this? Well, I, I did depart from Tokyo uh, just uh, only a few minutes before the uh, the major earthquake they had in, I think it was 2011, uh, the one that created the uh, huge um, tsunami. tsunami that uh, mm-hmm. nearly or destroyed one of their nuclear power stations. Um, so... We were close to it, and I thought a lot about it on the way home because uh, as we were climbing out, we heard the news from the company, and they asked us to turn off the um, update to our news channel uh, so that uh, the passengers on board wouldn't receive updates. Uh, This was before they had uh, internet uh, and they were able to message and that sort of thing. And all they wanted to do by... Um, not worrying the passengers because they had no real information about what areas it had been affected and who had been affected. And uh, they, there's no way we could land back at uh, in Japan. They didn't want the passengers to sit for that whole long journey wondering what would have happened possibly to those they'd left behind. Uh, we only advised them actually as we were taxiing into Heathrow. And by that time, a huge team had been assembled to speak to them all and we had uh, Japanese translators we had dozens of phones so they could try and call home although the communication lines were still almost impossible but we made a big effort to uh, do that but on the way home I was trying to think about what would have happened Uh, and I think so long as the runway surface remained intact I think I don't think you'd probably notice because we're driving a a uh, couple of hundred tons tricycle down a big piece of tarmac. Uh, and that tarmac, um, whilst it looks pretty flat, when you're doing a couple of hundred miles an hour, even a very small bump will jolt the airplane considerably. And there we do take off run- runways that are very rough. And the whole point about having uh, the oleos in the undercarriage legs is to absorb all those bumps and impacts. Well, if the ground were moving and the runway were flat, then it would feel exactly the same. It would just feel like you're getting airborne, I think, from a uh, a rough old runway. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't think you would even notice. Uh, and probably the same on landing, so long as you didn't end up with a huge step in the runway, a fissure or something that would actually physically yeah. damage the gear. That would there be was something. actually some audio, I think, from the, gosh, how long ago was it? Now there was an earthquake in uh, Alaska in, near Anchorage. 
that significantly affected the area and around the airport. And right after the, like right as the earthquake was occurring, um, the ATC audio is interesting because they essentially closed the airport because they had to get out of the tower for structural. So that concerns. is the place so. where you're going to feel it. In fact, Brandon, an air traffic <laughs> controller in our chat room says, yeah, it's uh, kind of an interesting situation when you're in an air traffic control tower, when you're experiencing an earthquake. My experience with uh, spending a lot of time living and growing up in California uh, and uh, witnessing and living through earthquakes. Um, if you're on like the freeway or you're driving, usually you, you don't even know it because I guess because you're rolling and you're moving and you there's don't other really, movement occurring. Yeah. So, it's hard uh, so you don't really detect. even know until all of a sudden you start hearing the news reports. But if you're in a fixed situation, if you're in a, uh, one time I was in a shopping mall in the basement and all of a sudden I thought I was like, I thought I was going to collapse yeah, I, I was kind of like, what? What is going on? Uh, I thought that I was just something was wrong with me because my knees were buckling and I almost fell down. And then I realized everybody else, I looked around and everybody else is looking like, what is going on here? And then I started seeing things swaying and everything. Like, oh, we're in an earthquake. But if you're in a car or some kind of a moving vehicle or on a runway in an airplane, likely, unless, as Captain Nick mentioned, there's a fissure or crack or something that is going to cause you you know a lot of pain you're not going to notice most likely you're not as long as you're not going to drive straight into a big gap that's opened in the runway you're right probably okay or like, either on takeoff know, or landing northern california where the, like the freeway right. system collapsed. yeah where you get like yeah yeah, yeah that's not good bad. yeah yeah it's northridge earthquake in right. san francisco mm -hmm. uh you know what growing up in the northeast i spent a lot of time on bridges and uh it was always amazing to me that once the vehicle came to a stop, and one of the, one of the first times I remember this is when I was on Tobin the Tobin Bridge, which is a very long um, long span of a bridge, and when you're driving across the bridge, you never feel the motion of the bridge, but when as soon as you stop. stop. You can mm -hmm. feel the motion, even on smaller bridges in local areas. You can, when you come to a complete stop, if it's a windy day, there's a lot of traffic come across it. You can feel that. So if the, you know, it's inertia. So if if you're going along the, the as you guys both mentioned, if you're going along at a speed, the, you know, the suspension system in the airplane, the suspension system in the car is going to absorb it. But once you come to a stop. Then you're going to feel, I mean, even if we're sitting in, you know, it's a perfect example. When you're sitting at the gate in, 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 on, an, on the airplane, it's really windy outside. You can feel the aircraft buffering, okay, in, in, in the wind. Uh, as soon as we start taxiing the airplane, you don't feel it at all. Right, you know, and and you know, it's not until we come airborne, actually, with a you know a, a gusty day, that we actually start feeling the wind. So, uh, you know, that would be the same type of scenario, I think. You know, the the ground shaking below us as we're moving. Brad says, in our tower, the loudest part is all of the big glass panels shaking, and of course, um, because he's in Southern California and their towers have um, indoor pools that's usually another clue uh, when, mm, the, when the water is sloshing yeah, the out of it sloshing in their indoor pools um you know it's california and they have a lot of they glass. control from inside hot tubs don't they yes hot tubs. they have microphones on the hot tubs <laughs> gotta stay relaxed very yeah, stressful right, job right. <laughs> just kidding brandon <laughs> that was snortworthy i i will say um, <laughs> that was great <laughs> 
after after an earthquake, um, pretty much the airfield is is closed for a good ten or fifteen minutes. Um, they'll stop arrivals and departures while airport ops gets out there and does inspections of all the all of the runways. In the last uh, the last big earthquake um, last week out um, near Vegas or in between halfway between Vegas and L.A. Um, shook all of the all of the airports in in the southwest, and all of them went into holding um, for runway inspections prior to make sure there wasn't any damage to the yeah. to the runways. But uh, you you don't know of any instruments that uh, indicate upcoming earthquakes. There's nothing special that air traffic have that the emergency services would have. I don't think there's any equipment no. that we have invented yet to predict earthquakes. You know there there are apps out there that supposedly warn you before an earthquake hits and i'm going what how how can they do that they say they say animals can sense that better than we can i think well i think that's right but yeah. how do they try uh, well let's how see. do you harness they, that into, they, right, yeah. into an app yeah exactly exactly yeah good point yeah see oh uh, yeah my my dog or cat is like running for cover like freaking and, out and i like, don't know why. And yeah, then, you know everybody. Oh, well, the, the movement generates electricity, isn't it, which can change locally the magnetic fields. I think that they they can sense things that we are yeah they can unaware hear, of hear stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Of course, Craig Messerman in our chat room says P wave warning. There you go. Delta P. Delta P. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where is it? Uh, here we go. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Um, Interesting question, Jen. Thank you for posing it. Not sure we helped at all, but, you know. (laughs) Well, there was also a video between that last earthquake of um, a baseball game was going on. Yeah, they just kept going. The commentators were mentioning that, how how bad the stadium was shaking up in the booth and all that. And there was two or three pitches going on in the middle of the earthquakes. Like, they didn't even stop for the earthquake. So either they didn't feel it on the field or, they, they, you know, they didn't know. (laughs) Huh. Mm-hmm. Baseball players. Mm. Insensitive. <laughs> Lane says, when goats start dancing. Or media taking something and expanding it to uh, epic proportions. Yeah. I think that's a great uh, episode title right there. When goats, when goats start, start dancing. dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brandon. I didn't mean to let your secret out about the tower hut. That would be a quick bit hard to... <laughs> Put on a picture, but I'll try. <laughs> oh, I have no doubt that you'll. No, know. I'm sure you can do that. I'm, I'm positive. Will be you flowing, and there will be something entertaining for us. Okay, let's uh, move on. We'll do this at least one more here from Rod. He says, "Hi, crew, longtime listener from Australia. I have a question. Why do aircraft lower flaps to takeoff position prior to taxiing, as opposed to just prior to takeoff?" I would have thought taxiing with the flaps down would have exposed them to a higher risk of damage from FOD, which is foreign object damage, particularly on low-wing aircraft like the Mad Dog or an aircraft with engines forward of the flaps. Thanks for the great show. Cheers, Rod. Well, anybody have any ideas why would we put the flaps out before we taxi? Eliminate a threat. So you don't forget. Huh? So you don't forget. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it important that we have the flaps out for takeoff? No, not at all. No, do we probably haven't had any major aircraft accidents involving airplanes without the flaps? Not a one. Takeoff. No, ever. None, so nothing ever happened. What's the big deal then? Yeah, no big Eliminating deal. the possibility of forgetting or trying to reduce the possibility of forgetting to put the flaps down is more important than reducing the risk of 
Yes. For an object debris damage. Absolutely. I'm sure that is a factor, but I think that the exposure to wear and tear on the flaps uh, is outweighed considerably yeah. by... I know, think especially at, at most major airports, too, where you're landing on prepared surfaces and runways are inspected for debris and things like that, your risk is going to be low-ish. I think you're right. Yeah, and, and, and you remember, when you taxi an airplane, the the, the speed at which you're taxiing, uh, the chances of throwing something up into uh, the the uh, flaps of slats at that low speed and doing any significant damage is very negligible. Unless you were southwest. Because <laughs> it's high speed. <laughs> That's V1 taxi. Wait, hold on. I taxi like southwest. Yeah, I, I tend to taxi a little bit quickly yeah. as well oh the speed limit in Atlanta is 30 it's supposed to do at least yeah 30. i that's why i always keep that screen up to see how fast i'm going exactly. just to make sure i'm at least 30 or less they have like, that in the uh, that's one of like our a little guidance yes okay. it's on the 10-9 page yeah i think it's a, it's a bullet oh. point on the airport diagram yep it is yeah of course there is one occasion when we always hold our flaps until just before takeoff when's that and uh, that is when we are in uh, snowing conditions. When not maybe true. For your airline, maybe if you're in line up for us. They, they oh, changed. Okay. It used to be that way for us, but they changed that. Because, again, they said, you know what? Uh, we think it's a greater threat to okay. forget. So we actually configure, even in snowing, icing, whatever. So you configure and are anti-iced with your flaps out? Yes. yes. So, oh, okay. We, we don't. Yeah. So... It, in answer to your question, some airlines uh, still do that procedure where they will de-ice uh, yeah. and anti-ice with the flaps, flaps retracted, yep. and then you'll taxi all the way. You'll hold the checklist at the appropriate point, and then you'll taxi all the way out, and then just at the end of the runway, you will lower the flaps and complete the checklist and then yep. go onto the runway and take but then, yep. then, But I would think that that would allow for contamination on the non-de-ice yeah, yeah. Well, that's why you wait till you get to the end of the runway, so that there is very little chance of any contamination landing. So, you know, you're talking a few, what, thirty seconds, a minute. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I can see both. Um, I, I can reason both methods, but uh, and as I mentioned, at Acme, we did that for many, many years. Most of my career at Acme was the way you just said, where you leave everything retracted until after you've de-iced and then you configure for takeoff. But I guess they reasoned that it was more of a threat that you might forget. So Yeah, and I'm not supporting the concept of yeah, no, I, doing I, it our way. I can because, see both ways, actually. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, to me, it's just a way of doing it. Yeah. It's not a, the best way of doing it. No, many of us old old school people said, huh, why, why are we doing that? You know, it makes more sense. To leave everything retracted, de-ice, and then, you know, extend for takeoff. But I guess the the folks in the uh, training department and whatever decided that. Uh, well, this is to be better. to be fair, I think they've got a point because uh, you've got a lot extra going on when you're dealing with contaminated uh, runways and you've got a lot of snow and precipitation icing, etc. And to have a change in your procedures is yet another factor mm -hmm. uh, to try and remember. So I don't think it's necessarily ideal doing it that way. Yeah, and as you know, we all know in the airline industry, things are always changing. Always, always. Yeah. 
just for the sake of change. Always a good, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I was say, there's always a good, I mean, it's always a good idea to review and change things that make sense to change. Or you might be a new person in uh, management that decides that you're going to change something because change something just because you need I could put to my name on your job somehow. <laughs> I was just going to say if you don't change something, flat ops doesn't have a job, so you have to <laughs> <Exactly>. do something. <laughs> I didn't say that, or I may have, but I didn't really mean it. Okay, um, and that's why I'm not in flight ops. It's all right. Acme, <laughs> yeah, Acme flight ops aren't listening. I'm sure they're not. And if they are, you, I love Acme you guys <laughs> and gals. I really do. Don't worry, you know someone it. on the third floor that said it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I think this might be our last one here. Uh, what do you think? Um, item number nine from Gus. How to spot an APG pilot. Hmm. I'm not sure how you do that. I'm a military pilot who hopes to one day join the ranks of airline greatness that y'all epitomize. Let's just bask in that for a moment. <laughs> Has he listened to this show? <laughs> I, was at, I, was, I was wondering who he was describing. I'm still basking. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm good now. Um, many of my friends have already hung up their Nomex flight suits for your spiffy airline uniforms. As a frequent commercial traveler, I enjoy looking for them while traveling and trying to meet up for a quick cup of coffee or even just a quick hello on the concourse. When traveling on Acme, I particularly look for Captains Jeff and Dana, often cued by the APG calendar. That's another good plug for the APG calendar. We usually have our our schedules on there. So uh, if you're out there flying somewhere in the world, you might actually, you know, spot us somewhere at an airport. After listening to your July 7th episode, I know, I now know how to spot Miami Hick. Texas Charlie provided some great tips that will sharpen my ability to spot the legend in his natural habitat. He's talking, of course, about the, you might be a redneck pilot, if. Um, so anytime I hear Dixie on the flight line, see mud flaps on a plane, or hear a cricket, I'll know I'm in the presence of greatness. And be sure to introduce myself. Cheers, Gus. Well, thanks, Gus. And... If you hear crickets, it's most likely because Miami Rick is actually on the show with us and talking about something very interesting and technical. For it's a very a, long time. It's been, a, yeah, for a very long time. It's been a very long time since we've heard Miami Rick do that, but we still have the crickets in the soundboard. Just, just in case they're waiting yeah. in the wings. Yeah. For their... We're, we haven't given up. We have, mm-hmm. we have hope. So, Rick, if you're out there listening. Come back. We love you. We miss you. Um, but Miami Hick is very funny. And, oh, look at that. Captain Nick found the crickets on the soundboard. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we have fun here. And, Gus, we hope that uh, someday you get to hang up your Nomex flight suit and put on one of our spiffy airline uniforms. Spiffy is a good word. I like that. Yeah. All right. Everybody's looking at me like, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, it's, I, yeah. it, it brings up a great visual. I just don't know how to render it into words other than the word. Well, speaking of spiffy, spiffy I think uh, Dr. Steph looked really spiffy when she was wearing my airline captain 
hat? Yes, I think so too. I thought you looked spiffy when you came over to my house for the for the treason day. I mean, you <laughs> you, oh, you no. looked very spiffy when you showed up, and we no. made sure I pointed it out to you how spiffy you looked. No, but she looked spiffier yeah. in in the in the airline captain cap. Oh, I think you. much better than I look with it. I think it was a good look for me. Yeah, it is. Actually, I think I've got a couple of those pictures hanging around of yeah. different. We're gonna have to put that in the show notes so people. That I've, uh, I think you should have it framed and put on your wall. Mm-hmm. I'll put it right next. to I it. think you should you should wear right. my hat when you do the five k at Oshkosh. Oh, I could. I don't know that I'll be able to see where I'm going, <laughs> but that's matter. not important, right? <laughs> should I bring we it? Get, we get some bungee cords for you. Yeah, I can we'll bring it. it. Yeah. Okay. If it's like hundred degrees outside, I'm not gonna wear yeah, it. But maybe not. Yeah, that'd be gross. But if it's reasonable, yeah, yeah, it's maybe. his hat. It's all good. Hang on. Yeah. Okay. People yeah, are don't mind a little marathons in diver suits. Surely. Yeah, they're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not? What are you doing on this show then? Uh, <laughs> good point. Yes. Yes. Too We're sure. all a little bit intellectually challenged and psychologically challenged. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, I know there were a few more items in our feedback, but I'm feeling the vibe. Like we should end this thing. It's getting late, and we have some Nick folks here that have early mornings. On. Yeah, Nick is like falling asleep, and Michael and Dana have early mornings ahead of them. So it's now time for us to end the show. And uh, just a quick mention of our website, airlinepilotguy.com. You should check it out because there's lots of good stuff there. We have apps for your iOS and Android platform phone or tablet device. And again, information about that can be found in the show notes or on our website. And we're also on the social meds. Mm, the social meds are back again. Yes. Head over to twitter.com and we're there using the handle at APG crew. Um, we are also on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. So we would love to see you on the social meds. Come interact with us and learn about what we're doing and where we might be and all kinds of aviation related stuff all right and uh hang on has anybody seen hello 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 are you still are you are you in the bathroom uh, oh yeah don't <laughs> hey come out here and do your thing Fire in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> apg listeners please join us on our slack team Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel. And I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1. And see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. And until next time, all of us here in the APG community and on the APG group wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. So long, everybody. Have a good one. Good day.